And welcome to the Nose Wrestling Podcast with me, Andy White. And with me today, we have Mr. Martin Theobald. Yo! And Mr. Terry Chavandama. Fresh from Oktoberfest. <laughs> we got a week off. We need a charge. Yeah, we're back. All except for my full disclosure, I was at my mate's wedding yesterday. I got absolutely caned. And so therefore... Uh, the fresh faces on this pod do not include me. Well, well our well, batteries are charged. Do you know what I love about that is, you know, Andy was there and about about five o'clock in the evening, he's like, I've got to do a podcast tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> Jägerbomb turned up. Ah, well. And then he gets to 10 o'clock. He's like, I hope they're just as hungover as I am tomorrow. <laughs> I could do them another week off. Actually, the thought of a Jägerbomb makes me feel sick right now. Whoa. Anyway, so um, let's go straight in, unless anyone had anything interesting to do at the weekend other than... Nah, just being the standard ass biscuits that we are. <laughs> <laughs> New age ass biscuits. Um, nah, I'm, nah, I'm nah. more old school. <laughs> family time, family time, it's all good. Okay, Koki, let's move on then and pull the cord with the Hey Card. Talk me through it. Um... I think we should. We, I'll go first. We had to pre-agree who's going first. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I wanna, behind I, the I, scenes, they have been like rawr, 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 two, two barking dogs, and it's like, okay, right. <laughs> Which one are we get out of the cage first? No, no, so I, I literally want to. I want to give the behind the screens view, and then Martin can give the behind the scenes view, because I want to congratulate Steve Goodwin for having the bigger, more visible logo on the night. I thought that was, a, that was a good power move by Steve. So people now know what good in boxing is about. So that was a, definitely a good move. I'm going to compare Friday's show to the David Hay comeback tour. So when he had his, his run at the O2 and on Dave initially. And those shows weren't bad. Like organizationally, were they perfect? No, but you're learning your trade. But he, cr- he cracked onto the same thing that Eddie Hearn has. You've got to make it an event. So you had Lethal B and those sorts of guys performing on a hay show. This Friday was poor. Um, visually, it didn't look good. Conceptually, I don't understand what they were trying to do. So, you know, we have enough kind of average boxing on TV as it stands. When when Haymaker said they were coming to the table, we thought we were going to see something different. And in a way, we saw something different and we saw a really poor end-to-end card. And it's not, about, it's not about pointing blame at anyone. It was a poor card end-to-end. Um, so at look- home, they showed Willie Hutchinson, Michael Venom Page, Joe Joyce. Yeah, and so just to break down those fights, Willie Hutchinson looked like he hadn't seen a gym in about 17 years. And that's worrying, you know, especially when you're that pale, you've got to have some kind of cut to you. So specific, 17. No, no, but... but, 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 <laughs> but, but He's but only 19 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you haven't been uh, in the gym since you were two. Rubbish. So, so, so for all the hype, you expected a bit more of a performance. I know it was one round, but still, um, the Venom Page thing I just thought was was laughable. 
it looked like they had rejected every third-rate fighter in this country and had just found someone on their holidays in Mallorca and said, mate, can you fight? And this guy's probably had a few karate bouts which have listed as combat and they got him on there. And just so Michael Venom Page could look good, that was disappointing to say the least. Um, I have a feeling that if you stuck him in against someone like a Dalton Miller, Miller might have put him through the ropes. Not going to say yes or no, but... I didn't really understand that. It, what I took from those two fights is the stable is not that deep. And maybe that's what Kesh Ashfak realized very, very quickly. The main event looked like in, like if anyone follows Ian Lewison on social media, you'll know that he just does deadlifts and military presses. He's, he's training for Britain's strongest man. Yeah. He's training for Britain's strongest man. And he just makes a bit of money fighting. Let's bear in <clears> mind that Ian Lewison is about the same age as us. The guy hasn't fought 20 times yet in his career. You um, can't get too in shape because he'll lose his uh, sponsorship deal with Bravissimo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, 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 so Joe Joyce goes into this fight and you can see that Ian's not really that bothered about winning. Think, because I think he wanks over the fucking catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> Take too much effort. Yeah. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, Ian Lewis looked like a guy who had thought if I win this fight, I'd have to fight for the British. And that's going to mean that I have to train and I really can't be bothered. So I'm just going to get through this fight, get my money and go back to being Britain's strongest man in North London or wherever it is he's living <laughs> Britain's there. Britain's strongest man. <laughs> so, Britain's so, strongest man. So Joe Joyce, does a Joe Joyce does a great impression of boxing at like 50% speed. It was, it was just it was bad. He wasn't explosive. He wasn't fast. And anyone that thinks Tony Yoka didn't deserve to win that gold medal, watch that fight on Friday and you tell me. <laughs> all, all, all that talk we heard, you know, Lewiston breaks his ankle so you can realize at that point the fight was done. Just, it was disappointing because David had always been at the vanguard of things and everyone's heard me talk about the stuff that he's done that, that's good for the sport and even his own comeback was well-managed. And it just seems like, like they've just dropped the ball horribly. And I'm hoping for something better next time, but I don't see where they're going to get it from because it didn't benefit Steve Goodwin. Now, number one, Steve isn't going to put his best fighters on someone else's show that defies all logic. But it didn't benefit Steve because it felt like a small hall show. It didn't feel like the big stage that would have been a good, good look for Steve, actually. And then at the top end, you had no star power to draw people in and to get excited about. And then even more worryingly, no, no real performances of note. You know, despite what, the con <laughs> despite what, what, what fucking bonehead Macintosh was trying to say about, oh, this is fantastic from... Why do people give that guy a job? Just, I, I, I was deflated. I was disappointed. And it was just more of the same. Like, I, I'll go so far as to say that the Dennis Hobson show was a far better product overall. Make of that what you will. Uh, Harry CB asks, how would you describe the state of Ian Lewison? Secondly, how tough is that guy? Yeah, um, I mean, you have to give him credit. He broke his ankle, uh, broke his nose, I think it was. I know he's in a bit of a Jesus. bad way after the fight. Um, like physically, not just those elements, in a bit of a bad way. Um, but look, if you're 19 stone and you haven't trained, <laughs> then, I mean, to an extent, like breaking your ankle is almost a statistical inevitability. <laughs> Because you're that heavy. That, like, moving around a ring will be a lot easier for you, Ian, if you got down to 17-2, 17-3. 
I mean, Steve Goodwin said when he was managing him, he was trying to get him, I think, high 16s fighting. He was 20 when he fought Dillian White. So, you know, wow. at least at least he's bothered to trim down. Yeah, he did look smaller, I must admit, the, the bit I caught. But that's a tallest dwarf contest, isn't it? It's, yeah. There's no winner out of this. It's, uh, yeah, no, Ian Lewis and he just... He, do you know what? I just felt that if anyone was tuning in to see... If you associate being a silver medalist at heavyweight in the Olympics to being a high-level, competent boxer, and then you look in the other corner, and there's a fat dude, like, for somebody that doesn't understand what boxing is, they're probably thinking, this is, like, it's just a really bad advert for the sport. Right, but prior to the fight, wasn't it a good start for Joyce to take on Lewis? Oh, no, no, oh let's give Joe Joyce's due. Yep. Like, Ian Lewison is a good gatekeeper to British level. Yep. Uh, it was a good benchmark fight for Joe. And he did it better than Dillian White did. Yeah. The only issue is, it's the optics of it, to use an American expression. Looking at that fight, you wouldn't want to see Joe Joyce again. He's... The only way that I could describe it is that he's... He's too intelligent. I know we've discussed this before. He seems to think about every single phase that he's in during a fight. And I mean every single phase. Like Each punch is almost... You could see the thought process as he goes through it. There's nothing fluid about him whatsoever. And it's all so robotic. And, like, for a man who rotates so much, he doesn't rotate in the right way. He's like, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> Mine's twisting like a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it's not the, the proper rotation. It's not going from, like, foot to hip through to shoulder. It's just shoulder rotation. There's no body mechanics going on there particularly. But... All that said, he clearly must hurt people with his punches because, you know, he damaged that eye of Lewison fairly early on. He's got him out of there. The towel gets thrown in quicker than, you know, when Dillian White was fighting Ian Lewison. So there's clearly something there. And this is a debut fight. So let's not, you know, let's not write him off entirely. But is there the excitement? Are you going to get the Joshua, um, you know, hype train following Ian Lewison? Not a hope. But, sorry, Joe Joyce, not Ian Lewison. But there's not, certainly not Ian Lewison. Fuck me. <laughs> It'll be the food train. <laughs> <laughs> the gravy train. <laughs> the, the, the Nando's. And, and the thing that hurts me the most is, I'm sure if you sat down with Ian Lewison in a quiet moment and said, look at all of these guys who have gone on to do stuff, Derek Chisora. And in Ian's head, he's like, a fully focused Ian Lewison beats all of these guys. And I wouldn't dispute that. So I don't know what drives him anymore. And I don't think it's boxing anymore. Yeah, I, I don't. Like, he should find something that makes him happy because I probably knew Ian better in his younger years. And he's a really good guy, really considered and quite intelligent guy. Um, some people say I saw him on the door at Infernos. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> but he boxing's not for him and he's too old now like he's too old to be that gatekeeper and i've said the same thing about domak and ladi like there comes a point when maybe the impact you'll have in the sport is in a role outside of actually fighting and maybe it's time for them to consider these options he's clearly got a poor relationship with with his diet hasn't he really it's his work ethic as well i mean it may not even necessarily he's a heavyweight his diet isn't as stringent as a welterweight say it doesn't need to be um, but on the other hand, if you're going to have that approach to it, you have to also do the work rate to burn it off. And I think that's probably more where the issue lies. Here's my point about heavyweights, right? In 2013, Anthony Joshua showed up and said, if you want to be a serious heavyweight, this is the template right now. There's no 
there's no Tim Witherspoon, there's no Bone Crusher Smith, there's no one who's super skillful and slick in this game. It's about brute force and intensity. And Joshua showed up looking the part. Four years on, these heavyweights haven't grasped that fact that you've got to look the part, and they don't look the part. Um, Dan Frost says, as expected, it was a good win for Joyce on Friday. Certainly good enough to win domestic titles now. Do you feel he needs to work on a few things moving on? Shout out to Dan Frost, by the way, who I met down there on Friday night. Really, really nice bloke. Um, follows boxing inside and out. Going off to New York to catch um, Lomachenko Rigando later in the year. He's, I think it's his second trip to New York this year to follow boxing. Like, really sound bloke, so just to mention. What do you want to do with the question? What was the question? I ignored it, so I just heard the name. <laughs> do you, <laughs> I'll be do honest. <laughs> do you feel he needs to move? Uh, do, you, do you feel he needs to work on a few things moving? Well, he says up, but I, I, I guess he means through the yeah. Of course um, he does. Of course he does. Skill ranges. But he's a one-fight professional novice as of today. One like, thing, when you said about earlier about him being robotic, the question that comes straight to my mind. Sorry, Dan, I'm not going to hijack your question, but. It's more on the basis. I think it can sort of meld into it in, in the fact that Terry is boxing purely. Does it have to be a natural thing? I.e., have you got? Is it? Is there any? Is there any historical precedence of someone who was not really a natural boxer, but they worked really hard? Because he does look a bit like that. Joe yeah. looks like someone who well, no, worked there, really there, there hard. Is. There's a perfect example, and he likes to stay humble in a Range Rover. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Josh is a prime example. So. So I've had enough time to. I've, I've spent a lot of time with with John Oliver, who trained. Who well, he was in charge of Finchley when Joshua was coming up, and when Chisora was coming up. So technically, as a trainer, I mean, he's done pretty well with heavyweights. And the thing he'd always say was, Chisora got the kind of the technique of boxing better than AJ, but AJ got the the graft and the determination and the sacrifice side of it, which meant that he shot past everyone. Look, this is a guy who, I've said this many times, when he fought Dom Akinladi in the amateurs, we all thought that was just a warm-up fight for Dom. And he just he just went in there and smashed Dom to pieces. And then after that, you're just like, oh, he can't do this again. And he kept doing it and doing it. When he turned pro, he couldn't throw a left hook. Do we we remember that, don't we? Yeah, he'd throw he'd throw the one two, and it'd be about fifteen seconds before that left <laughs> hook came around. <laughs> but it comes now. It's bam, bam, bam. He he's worked at it. So so you can do it. But but the way Martin described Joe Joyce was that it was, uh, not to put words in your mouth, Martin, but it was like it was unnatural. It was robotic. Joe, Joe started so a lot you, later. But so you have to also how do you look, work harder on becoming natural. <laughs> you know what I mean? look, look at the the coach and say he's got Ishmael Salas as his coach. Ishmael Salas, he works with Linares, and those two work in in motion in unity. And Linares of a fluid man. When you see Linares box, or when you see the training videos where he's just slipping shots off that long pole thing that trainers use now, um, the one that replicates the jab, and so you're just constantly moving around it. You cannot imagine Joe Joyce being on the end of one of those long arm things that's sticking a punch in his face every few seconds. Linares ducks underneath it, throws three uppercuts, ducks the other way. You will not ever get Joe Joyce doing that. So you have to start questioning... I mean, clearly Hay's got the relationship with Ishmael Salas. And so anyone that seems to be under this Hay banner is also going with Ishmael Salas. Is that the right place for him to be training? So so here was the issue. When Joe was going to go pro, there was an expectation that 
he would recruit one of his amateur trainers, and no one, I'm, I can't name who it was going to be because I don't know. But that was that had been the expectation, that had been the message that he would stay with one of the Ellsfield guys because they taught him to box. So if you, for anyone who knows how the Ellsfield boxing ethos goes, it is literally two hands up, one, two, move, one, two, move. It's very mechanical because it was designed to win in the old style, you know, the old style clicker system. Whoever lands more punches tends to win. So they had that. Throw, throw a quick combination, step out. Throw. It was very mechanical, but it worked for Kurt Garvey, it worked for Louis Adolphi, and it worked for Joe Joyce. The world's moved on now where we're looking for body shots and we're looking for more fluid combinations. He hasn't been taught to do that. So it's that whole Gallagher thing, isn't it, of when you're so drilled in one way, can you become another person overnight? No chance. I think Joe probably needs to... I would. I'd fight Sam Sexton next. I'd put the money up. Take that. Take those belts, British and Commonwealth, and then I'd maintain a British level. You know, this is what I do at Buglioni, and I just have my three wait. defenses. Sit there and wait for people. Yeah. Do what David Price did. Have three defenses in a year of the British title, and then move up. He. he there's no point in him rushing. If you see what I mean, he's already old in the sport as it is. <laughs> so why rush? Okay, so getting back to the actual Hay card. Martin, give us your take. (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Right, can I start off? To me, the whole thing felt poorly planned. I think that's possibly the best way I can describe it, right? So you turn up, and I don't know if anyone here has ever seen the O2 Indigo. They used it for... I think it was Hey Bell You Open Workout or something and last year. And the Brook Golovkin weigh-in. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, that's the one I'm thinking of, actually. Um, and so they've got a stage that sits... As you walk in, it's a theatre setup. Yeah. So you've got seating down the front, and then you've got seating above it. Um, and then that all points down at a stage. And I think there were people beforehand that I was talking to, who were like, oh, how's it set up in there? I don't know. I've not seen it. How's it set up in there? I don't know. It must be different. You can't put a ring on a stage, so... That's why people are asking the question. But some fucking idiot has put a ring on a stage. <laughs> They've actually gone and put a ring on a stage. So it's six foot up for a start. This stage is six foot above. So if you've paid for seat 1A, if you're the first person into that venue and you've paid £250 for that seat... Are you sitting in a pit? You can't see the ring. <laughs> wow, that's, that's <laughs> You good. can't see the ring. I went and sat in that seat because I was there earlier than most other people and I stood around with various people. I went and sat in that seat and all along row one, you can't see the ring. But those seats were for sale. They were the most expensive seats in the house. <laughs> you're looking up. A, you'd get neck ache because you're looking up at a uh, stage that's maybe two foot in front of you. So there's a walkway between you and that stage. Then that stage is six foot up and then the ring sits on that. So you can't see anything. The most you can see is the away corner. And that's it. And like, that's the whole of row one, row two, probably back to row, I was on like row K. So whatever that was. So is it like a half circle, like an amphitheater kind of set up? No, the top is, the bottom's just squared. Squared across and then the ring sits on the stage. But they didn't put any, there was no space to put seats behind it. No, no, it's right, no, no, it's right at the back, right? So I went up and walked around the stage when I got there. <laughs> they, they, I was there when they rolled the stretcher to get the stretcher up ringside. You have to roll the stretcher up the ramp where you saw the people doing the ring walks. And then there's like a ledge that sits there. So you have to like traverse this stretcher over a ledge and then up. 
and then the width between the ring and the side of the stage is about a stretcher's width. So you've got to hope that wheel doesn't fucking fall off the side. If someone got iced in there badly on Friday night, that would have been a nightmare. Because you get it round, and then you've got to corner it. And so you've probably got a wheel hanging off the end as you're trying to corner this stretch around it's all very very tight and compact up on that stage so i don't know i haven't watched it back but i can't imagine it looked very good visually because the crowd were away from that ring and so you're used to seeing. you know if i sit and watch sky if i sit and watch bt i'm used to seeing the main camera angle has got behind it um eddie hearn frank warren sat in the front row and then you can see like five rows back maybe from what I saw of the camera angle, you couldn't see anything. There was the officials that were sat right behind the ring. And then around the ring, you had like 10 chairs that was David Hay and his mates. It was like they'd like hired the place for a personal just, let's beat up some Eastern Europeans for an hour or two. <laughs> That's what it felt like at times. Um, just such a really, really weird setup. And then, honestly, I've never been to a boxing event before where I could talk to the person next to me through every fight going. Uh, there was no atmosphere. atmosphere. There was nothing. And I think that was just lent to by the fact that everybody where I was down the front couldn't really see what was going on very well. So when I'm sat trying to report on a fight, I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't see what's going on. And I'm surprised that this happened because like, I was at the, the Kel Brook Golovkin weigh-in. And to be clear, that, that was well over capacity. So if ever Hearn wants to rub it in, he can just go, you know, I feel that for a weigh-in. But you walk downstairs and it's fine when you're standing and it's a bit of a stage and you can look up, it's no drama. But when I imagine, you're standing, I'd imagine it's okay. Yeah, but when you, if, I can imagine being sat down, looking up at a stage, then the ring on top of that, embarrassing. Like, yeah. like someone's, someone's seriously dropped a testicle on that one. Someone's head should roll for that because it was so badly thought out. If I've paid for that 250 quid ticket at the front, if I'm Joe Joyce's mate or whatever... I would be absolutely raging that the people who paid 40 quid in the top tier bit have got the perfect view of it. And it's not that big a venue. So it's not like you're miles back in Wembley. You could see from the very back. It's like your call. But you couldn't see from the very front. <laughs> Something's gone wrong. So that just killed the atmosphere in there. There was no atmosphere whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, going on to the action, Michael Venom Page is a fucking disgrace. Um, like uh, context okay so he goes around and there's um there's comparisons to emmanuel augustus the drunken boxer who would go round and pretend that he was drunk in the ring he was doing that at a high level i'm okay with that and he made a career of doing that i'm okay with that michael venom page is in there with somebody castanado or whatever his name was as terry says looks like he's been brought in on a first choice holiday for the week <laughs> like he's had it interrupted so they've done him a special favor um pissing about in there dancing about um clearly he's a talented fighter clearly from what i understand of his mma career because he's crossing over this is his first fight in boxing from mma clearly he's got the natural instincts of a fighter did i need to see it on friday night did that need to be a live broadcast of a boxing match absolutely not go away do it in the shadows but then that wouldn't really fit his persona um so fuck off <laughs> if i'm gonna be honest fan, about man. it like, I, I don't want to see it at that level. Like, if you're fighting in a British title fight and you choose to do that, absolutely fine. But at least give the sport the respect on day one that it perhaps deserves, that you're fighting a guy who, may I add, when he got up and he was at eight, I think it was on the rest count, he was up on his feet, nine, ten, he's perfectly fine. He's got his hands up. 
He's ready to fight. And the ref's like, ah, nah, let's wave this off. Nah, game and, over, boys. And the um, guy went mental. He's like, no. The guy was mental. No. Understandably so. Now, I'm not going to make the accusation, but it certainly looked as if the guy was more than capable to carry on. I've seen fights waved off for far, far. It, like, that was not a stoppage in my view. And it was almost as if they wanted to get a stoppage from Michael Venom Page on his boxing debut. You know, which brings us deliciously onto Craig from Box uh, Fight Talks Point. Shout out to Craig. Was. Shout out to Craig, who actually like Rob Tebbett uh, uh, behind the gloves, Brooks Stretfield, Craig at Fight Talk, all made the night a whole lot more enjoyable. We sat and had a good laugh. Yeah, nothing like a night with Brookie. <laughs> yeah, no, we sat and had a good chat, and uh, they made the night a lot more enjoyable. So I'm going to condense Craig's point, but it basically says, uh, seemed to me that there was a special type of journeyman that was unveiled for the Dave's TV cameras on Friday, um, with the sole purpose of losing dramatically. Could it be possible? So, look. Tim four hat. We've, we've, all, we've all done this, right? You go onto BoxRec, and there's a show on in Helsinki or Tampere in Finland. And there's a guy who's like 11 and 88. And you don't know who he is. And you're like, who the hell has this guy fought? You know, who has he legitimately fought that we know of? And you go through the record, and you don't know a single name on his record. And you're like, the guys he's beaten must be an extra level of shit. And it looks like that's what they were hunting for on this card. I don't understand why David didn't hold fire and go, I'm going to fight Bellew again. And I'm going to put my leadoff guys on the undercard to that. Yeah? You could have put Joe Joyce on an undercard for that. You could have put MVP on there as well. But instead, your leadoff show, where you're making a statement about Haymaker Ringstar, and, you know, I've been privy to a lot of the conversations that were happening um, earlier this year, end of last year around what would this look like and this isn't the manifestation of any of those conversations and like I was there when Schaefer was talking because the Ringstar model makes sense, it goes we're going to get the Olympians or the super talented amateurs that no one's giving a chance to, it's that whole Moneyball thing if we can get our Josh Taylor and we can upset the apple cart and then we can take over from the big boys and Schaefer's kind of done it. If you look at the, the ring star stable in the States, come on, Jesus, man, they've got Tony Yoka, an Olympic gold medalist. And we seem to just get the, cut, the, the cast-offs, really, which is disappointing. But those journeymen that they found served a purpose, <clears> and that was just to, you know, roll over. You know, I, Although one of them tried not to roll over. He tried to carry on, <laughs> and the referee, you know, just decided that it wasn't, it wasn't for him that night. Nah, sorry, mate. This is a rollover fight. I'm gonna, Fights off. Before we move on from it, I want to give Willie Hutchinson more credit than Terry did. <laughs> I actually thought it was a very... Again, don't get me wrong. That guy on the other end of the beating was never going to win the fight. But look, Michael Venom Page at this point has gone three rounds with a guy who was also never going to win a fight didn't throw a punch like Willie Hutchinson went out there and did what he had to do and he did it quickly did he look in the best shape no 19 year old like big debut he probably could have done better to look aesthetically pleasing but what he did was get in that ring and just blew the hell out of that lad and like he did it with quick hands vicious hands and I've seen Nagy who was fighting before he's he survives he can typically survive but you can see those body shots that were ripping into him he didn't want any of that particularly um, so uh, Willie Hutchinson to me I thought he looked a good talent after so okay so then last night uh, or Saturday if you're listening on in the middle of the week 
Uh, in Belfast, we had a Sky Card featuring right Burnett versus Zakharinov. 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 <laughs> Do you know what? If you're coming to the live show, this is the kind of pronunciation you're going to get. I suppose they're better off just, in spades. Yeah, and he's going to ban names. Like from we're, we're going to put some questions out there, so feel free. Like you can ask questions when you're there. Feel free to put those down and just make names up to make Andy try and pronounce them. I'll I'll pronounce them and well <laughs> in, <laughs> phonetically in, uh, incorrectly, and I will. I'm the, the point I was trying to make. Then I will have no filter if you put in. How did suck a penis off? Get on again. <laughs> Great. That's going to be a thing then, isn't it? <laughs> How did suck a penis off? All right. Um, yeah, so anyway, what happened in Belfast on the Sky Card whilst I was getting destroyed? Oh, man. Man. Oh, man. I didn't watch oh, it for man. the record. I watched the BT one, so I'll throw some questions um, out. I'm having some chips. Karma's a real bitch sometimes, isn't it? There was a time when Hearn was the all-conquering master of the universe, and Burnett versus Zakyanov would not be a main event because it didn't need to be. But Hearn is up against it so much, he's scratching around for these sorts of fights. And like I think we've mentioned this before, you know, he's now the WBA's preferred partner. So if they can stick a belt on a matchroom fighter, they will because they know Hearn is solvent. He will pay his sanctioning fees on time and all of this stuff. Because at the end of the day, the WBA is a business. So you don't really want to be messing around with promoters who take three or four months to pay. So you partner up with Hearn. The whole boxing ecosystem knows that if they're on a matchroom show, they get looked after. Finest hotels in Belfast. You know, maybe you and get... And they do. Let yeah. me assure people, you get looked after, even if you're the away fire. Yeah. So subconsciously, what you're saying is, I could do with more of this. I quite like Belfast. I want to come here in the summer. Does that influence you when you're making a scorecard up? And pardon the play on words there. <laughs> Perhaps it does. But to be to be fair, yeah, just we'll, we'll we'll go through some of the fights because a lot of it was trash. Let's be let's be brutally honest. We're at that point now where there's so much boxing content that the quality overall is quite low, diluted. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to remember who actually fought. So we'll start with a positive. So Josh Kelly did his usual thing, and I'm trying to think. Uh, he, whoever he was in the ring with, it's almost irrelevant who he's in the ring with. But Josh Kelly looked so atypical of a British fighter. Like he, Just do it. he, he he's our equivalent of Matt Letizia. Cheetos. Just enjoy just, your snack. Just have, have a go. Yeah. Or yeah. We're doing a podcast. Tucking in, mate. <laughs> we'll get that sponsorship deal one day. I don't even want money. I just want free Cheetos. Sorry, sorry, oh, a Terry. Yeah, at, at Cheetos, it's like a real one. But but so in essence, look with, with Josh Kelly, looks good. I mean, rewrote the rule book. I think I, I described him as he's very textbook in the most unorthodox way. So he understands by hitting and not getting hit. Felt he was a bit left hand happy. Would like to see the right hand more. But you know, he's still early in his career. But get excited about him because he's a guy we should hope goes all the way. That's how I view Josh Kelly. Now we're going to talk about Anthony Fowler. Well, can I just... From Anonymous, the question is labelled, um, how can Eddie Hearn have the audacity to say that he's thinking of young fighters and their futures and offering £1,400 
for 10 rounders on AJ's undercard. Now, I feel that's topical given what you okay. said about looking after cool. the fighters. No, let, let me touch on this, right? Hearn doesn't make the decision. If, if it was a Hearn show, Hearn would be far more generous. And the reason I say that, my justification is this. I've spoken to people who've been paid by Hearn as B-side fighters. You get paid within the hour after your fight. The money's good. You get looked after. Hearn's not a guy to jerk around fighters. So when you see that sort of money getting mentioned, what you're realizing is there's someone else calling the shots saying... On an AJ undercard. Saying, the world has come to see one man. Therefore, I don't have to pay you guys anything because you add nothing to the event. I want to take all this money because I have a staff of 30-odd, a fleet of Range Rovers, and I need to make sure that my interests are well looked after. Because Are you saying the boxing world's creating a monster? Is Eddie Hearn going to turn out to be the good guy after all? I, I, I imagine in that situation, Hearn's the voice of reason. Hearn's the voice of, look, you can't just shaft everybody. That's not how boxing works. But the other person is looking at it going, my body's in bits. If the world knew how banged up I am and how, how much pain I go through to get through these camps, they'd realize, well, I want to retire by 32. That, and I don't think people realize that when they're talking about, we'll say, it. I think people realize that when they talk about AJ, we've said it before, a 17 and a half stone man moving as fast and as intensely as he does is going to fall apart eventually. Just, we're not designed to be that big and that explosive. If he wasn't injured, the NBA would be in Sheffield right now. The NFL would be in Sheffield right now. The WWE would be in Sheffield right now going, how do you keep this man injury free? The truth is he carries a shitload of injuries. And I imagine after this fight, if even if Takam only goes two or three rounds, I'd expect them to say AJ will be off for about six months because he's not feeling right. Um, on that, do we have any idea who we might fight next? AJ. Yeah. So I've put money on... So, so I'll, I'll summarize it as this. My prediction is... Parker in March or White and then whoever he doesn't pick he'll fight in the summer from what I understand White uh, Wilder is probably being planned for February if that helps shape the decision yeah and then yeah so you'd probably go with Parker White I don't think he'll fight Wilder till much later Parker White as that kind of summer you know pay for that summer trip to Dubai but he'll have to fight Pulev in 2018 because the IBF call one mandatory a year. So I imagine he'll have to fight Pulev again. And then you look at Wilder in 2019. And do you st- does Pulev just stay the mandatory now? Well, he doesn't lose his ranking because he didn't, he didn't lose. He was just injured. So he's still number two ranked. Pulev's a fucking idiot. Chuck him out of sport. Like, this isn't the first time he's done this. With Pulev. Yeah. You like, but, but to be maintain fair, your no, position no, in the to, ranking. To be fair, it's almost like I, think everyone knew, I think everyone knew. People know two things about Pulev. Number one. He, he's financially okay. Like Bulgaria is not an expensive country to live in. And you can get a couple of cars nicked from Germany for half the price. You can live like a king in Bulgaria. And he's a hero there, so he's all good. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to rush. The second thing about Pulev is he already, he was banged up before that. So when the mandatory was made, Pulev was like, I'd quite like to delay it because he wanted to heal up. And I've always had a theory that they've known about Pulev not fighting since September. 
they've known for a while. But if they told us in September, we'd never have bought a single ticket, would we? We so, would, because you go back to this thing with when it was announced at two weeks' notice, it's not going to be Pulev, it's going to be Takam. And Eddie Hearn's gone, well, no one's getting a refund, which is disgraceful. Like, let's just throw this out there. What other industry can you buy something and they change what that product is that you're buying yeah. and you have no right to get a refund? Like, surely that goes against consumer rights and trading sands, whatever. Um, like, that's a disgrace. Because even if there's just one person who's going to that, they say they sold 80,000. Okay, let's see how it looks next Saturday. Um, <laughs> so, all right, say out of those 80,000, if there's one person from Bulgaria who's flying over to come and watch that fight and they've booked their tickets and they've booked the fight tickets, if there's just one out of 80,000, that one person should have every right to claim a refund on his fight ticket. But he's not got that right because Eddie said, nah, the show goes on. Like, bullshit. That's oh, absolutely terrible. Yeah, just offered to buy the ticket at whatever StubHub are charging at that time. <laughs> Be fair. But, 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 I find that awful, like a disgrace. So when Eddie then says, nah, everything goes ahead as planned, Takam's going to fight. So people would have bought it for Takam. The same number of people that bought for Pulev, in my opinion, would have bought for Takam. Because they're not buying for the away corner, they're buying for the home but, but, corner. But here's the thing, right? I'm confident that when Saulin said to Hearn, look, Pula hasn't sparred for a couple of weeks, his peck and his shoulder were giving him trouble. And this would have been about four weeks ago, I imagine. They got on the phone to, to Cam and said, where are you? And he's like, mate, I'm in my bay, I'm going large. <laughs> and Hearn was, like, Hearn was like, can you get your ass on a treadmill, post some videos on Instagram of you doing some sit-ups and running, right? Yep. Because I need to tell the world that we've had this deal. Here's, here's 100K, right? You're going to get the fight, but here's 100K. Here's a down payment for the gym. Yeah. And here's just so you don't make me look stupid, here's 100K and you'll get paid 60% of what we were going to pay Pulev, right? You only have to do a couple of rounds work, mate. Don't worry about it. And Takam was like, I'll take that because I'm a tough man. So even if I get dropped, the ref will probably save me because that's how English refs are now. There is no way there was a pre-existing agreement because Hearn would have had to know Pulev was injured or likely to be injured. And then he should have been selling tickets in that case because that's misrepresentation. Now, it's all bollocks, really. But I don't feel bad for Hearn because all Hearn says is, I'm going to keep selling these suckers bullshit for as long as they keep buying it. So if you're one of these fans that gets happy and you show how much you paid for your ticket and that you're supporting British boxing, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> so here's the next question right you've got Joshua's fallen apart as the main event and there's no refund on that there's talk this week that David Allen Lemroy Thomas which is on the undercard is probably going to get moved into the new year possibly later this year hey Bell you undercard so what if you want a refund on that so hey uh, Hearn always makes his point that like the undercards are strong for these fights you know it's going to be strong because of the fact that Kubrat Pulev was never a headline name. It wasn't a Klitschko name, so we're going to have a stronger undercard. Okay, so Dave Allen and Lemroy Thomas falls off, potentially, this week. What if another fight falls off this week? What if Frank Buglioni versus Callum Johnson falls off? British title fight. What if they? What if that falls apart this week? We can, where, only, we can only pray. Where do the refunds come in for that? What if so Cal Your Five falls apart point, this week? You can't, your point being, 
He can't have license to just go around saying, invest in our undercards, they're great. And then when they start getting messed about, go, oh, don't worry about the undercards. Well, you've already gone, don't worry about the main but, event. But, so at what point do you draw the line? <laughs> but, but like, he, don't worry about the main event, just come and watch it anyway. But, so but, he, he, but here's the truth, though, right? <laughs> and, 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 and this is probably the reason why no refunds will be offered. 60% of those tickets are held by StubHub, <laughs> right? And, Wait a minute, and, didn't Matchroom put some on resale, the ones that were handed back recently? Mm. <laughs> so, so, and, and the, yeah. I, I am really confused by that. <laughs> because who's handing them back when you can't get a refund? <laughs> Like, <laughs> wait a minute, Eddie. <laughs> Could you just have all these tickets back off me, please? <laughs> no refund needed, mate. I'll tweet it out. You're so good. So that's what you have. You have StubHub going, you can't give refunds. The minute you give refunds, our StubHub prices collapse. If they could have given people refunds, because you know sometimes you buy these tickets in haste, right? And you're like, shit, I've got these tickets and I've got a wedding to go to. And all of a sudden, what you'd love to do is just, Give them back, get your money back straight away. If everyone did that, who's now like, sod this, this isn't a serious fight. Even if it's just three or 4,000 people, that nervousness kills the StubHub model. And this is where you realize StubHub are not just a sponsor of Matchroom. They're an active partner and they can clearly exert influence over not only Matchroom, but Anthony Joshua as well. Because really, you shouldn't be allowed to get away with replacing one kind of okay p opponent with a substandard opponent. And we, we, we had to sit through Johnny Nelson trying to tell us Takam is strong like George Foreman. What a fucking bellend for saying that. How, number one, how dare he mention George Foreman, right? Let's be absolutely clear about this. How dare he mention George Foreman when he bored the shit out of people for 20 cruiserweight defences and Foreman smashed through people. I mean, what happened when Johnny Nelson tried to be a heavyweight? The guy's a numpty, but he's part of that sky hype machine where... It's almost like they give people a hundred quid bonus for the dumbest thing you can write on Twitter. Per day. Yeah, there you go, mate. You wrote something really stupid. There you go. And any arsehole who says, yeah, it's a real 50-50 fight, because someone's going to say that in the, in the run-up to the fight, they're going to say, I can't pick between Joshua and Takam. And Takam's going to show up hitting the pads with no timing, <laughs> no rhythm. And we're all going to sit there and go, shit. This is bad. I think they'd be better off getting a Takam body double in for it. They've probably trained as hard. Ian Lewison. <laughs> so, look, this week you're going to get... Uh, we're well off... off like yeah, we're yeah, talk, wait, we? Well, I need, so, uh, I need you... Once you two pause, I'm going to ask you a question related but, to... Look, the you. fact is, Eddie Hearn this week is going to be in full-on spin mode, right? Because this undercard with the Dave Allen news... That's bad for it. I mean, that's not a huge fight. Don't get me wrong. We've seen the fight before. It wasn't very interesting. wasn't very exciting. But Dave Allen is somebody that can perpetuate a story and Sky can sell that story and Eddie can sell it. If that falls apart and goes on to Hey Bellew, if anything else happens to the undercard this week, then there are problems. And Hearn will be on full-on spin mode. And we will... Uh, forget anything I've said before, okay? <laughs> you will not know why we are laughing our heads off there was for a, a while. strong edit point within there but i want to be absolutely clear between now and the next time we have a podcast everyone that listens to this you're going to hear something and it should disgust it should just disgust you to the very essence of who you are and if you do not tweet and tell Matchroom with the truth and tell Hearn the truth,
about how you feel at some point this week when it happens. You failed us, you failed yourselves, and you failed boxing because there's a cliff coming and it's going to be Thelma and Louise. That pudding. <laughs> that pudding has so much fucking egg in it. I don't know. <laughs> right, oh, man. So, do you know what? All right. This morning, it's I'm not lying to you. I was, I was just, you know, you just on Netflix and Amazon Prime and I was just watching Arachnophobia. Where ya? It's a great film. Where ya? Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Brilliant film. People don't want to hear this. Um, no, they don't. Like, oh, it'll but, make sense in a week. So, Jonesy or K-Dog asks... Don't want to be that around Gallagher, mate. Change your name. <laughs> in reference to the to AJ versus Wilder, why is Dillian White even in the conversation? Hearn wants some kind of money because when Wilder fights AJ, Hearn gets no money. When Wilder fights White, he gets a shed load of money. That's just how the business model works. So any- This is because he's going to have to pay... Uh, AJ well, a lot of money, right? Well, basically, because AJ takes the, the lion's share of whatever he generates. You know, that was part of the deal. So you, you want Wilder to make you money and make AJ money. This is why you're seeing this. So David A had to fight Bellew before he could fight Joshua. So Hearn could get some money. Now they're fighting again so Hearn can get more money. And then Hay will have to fight White before he can get to Joshua. It's like Mario Brothers, man. You've got to go through the levels with Hearn. Let me... Let me dig something up Terry said before. I'm going to go like full necrophiliac here because this is quite a while back and it's probably cold now. Um, so whatever this point is, you're going to fuck it as well. Yeah, might as well. Right on <laughs> as Terry said once, what it's insulting to Deontay Wilder to have to prove himself against Dillian White to get the AJ fight. It's insulting that you would even associate Dillian White's name to it. Deontay Wilder is the WBC heavyweight champion. There is no reason that you should say he has to go through Dillian White. Now, you could say his CV isn't very good. He's never beaten anyone. Okay, well, AJ's the same, bar Klitschko, who he got off his ass and beat. And, but, and who was like 85 years old and had just finished doing a remake of the Golden Girls. Yes, yes, the defeated Klitschko. Let's point that out as well. So, like, it's, it's actually insulting to Deontay Wilder to say, you go through Dillian White, you get Anthony Joshua. That's insulting to a man who's a world heavyweight champion. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, the question I have about AJ is that who is there for him to beat and then for, you, for them to look at AJ and go, he is a top-level heavyweight in terms of the analogues of history nobody can he nobody can he get to that stage no no the test of greatness and we've discussed this on numerous podcasts is you have to be in hall of famers at their best as well so when we talk about ali we we dwell on these points we dwell on the liston fight we dwell on the fraser fights we dwell on the foreman fight and we dwell on even guys like norton larry holmes ali has fought great people George Foreman fought great people. Frazier fought Hall of... These are all high-level fighters. Anthony Joshua fighting a 95-year-old Russian with a bad back and who probably doesn't even remember what his name is doesn't cut it. Like, this is a guy whose confidence was Sean, man. Now, he admitted it. He was a broken man after Fury. Now, I'm supposed to believe that somehow without not fighting an intervening period, he suddenly became a monster again. No. So uh, what about if Fury came back and he beat Fury? Well, it would have to be a Fury that had dealt with someone like Wilder. So Fury would have to essentially wipe everyone yeah. out <clears throat> easily. 
and then just look at AJ and go, it's just you and me left. And it's not AJ's fault. It's not no. a criticism of AJ. No. I mean, in the same way that Klitschko, as you know, there were question marks over what Klitschko achieved. It's not his fault that he was beating the likes of Alex Leopold for years or Kubrat Pulev. And he was handling them fairly easily. It's not his fault. But on the other hand, we can't start bracketing Joshua with the greats of all time because he hasn't got the greats of all time to fight against. Yeah. And here's the problem. Is that what you have with... When Klitschko was fighting these fucking these empty shoeboxes, he's booting you through them like it was nothing, right? We gave him so much crap. Well, well, we don't respect him. He hasn't fought anyone. Who's he really fought? Look at all these fucking soup cans he's pissing in. Look at this guy. AJ does the same thing, and he's amazing. And we're we're spending our rent money and our mortgage money on these damn tickets to watch him. And I've got nothing against AJ. In fact, I quite like AJ. And I've said this many times. There's a lot to like about his story. There's a lot to like about him as a person. Um, I've got to catch up with Umar Sadiq at some point, And I'm sure he'll speak highly of AJ as well in, in person. So I, I have a high opinion of AJ, but I also understand boxing history. And in terms of boxing history, AJ won't go down as a top 20 heavyweight. And it will be because, number one, he hasn't shown us anything special, apart from a, an incredible mindset and application. And number two, he just wouldn't have fought anyone that we will look, that we'll look back on and go, that guy was brilliant. So Anthony Joshua's 28 now, and you're suggesting, Terry, that he's gonna, you think he's going to quit by the time he's 32? That's what he- I, I think his body will tell him, mate, it's over. So he's got... So the, I mean, he, uh, uh, Let me just not- justify that as well. If we track... David Hayes' career. David Hayes, another guy who, who probably grew bigger than his frame was capable of, and he started to fall apart. And I think he'd honestly admitted a lot of the training he was doing to remain fast, explosive, and hold that intensity. It took his toll on his body, and that's not a myth. Like Dave Caldwell alludes to it in his recent IFL interview. You know that we've lived through this. So coming from a rugby background. I look at the friends I had. I used to play rugby with guys like James Forrester who played number eight for England. And I know how badly broken these guys are. Guys like Mark Irish, you know, my generation of guys, Andy Powell. These guys are broken men. They look like they look big and strong, but they struggle. Um, Ugo Monye did a podcast and he was talking about he struggles to pick up his kid because of his back. This is what happens when big men add a lot of muscle in contact sports eventually your body just gives up on you. Well, the point I was trying to make was that therefore there isn't even enough time for someone to come through, assert themselves as a dominant force in the heavyweight division for then him to fight them. And there is just no way that he's ever going to be considered a great boxer. Like a like a good porn star, 25-year-old woman, man. We've got Triple D. Well, that's kind of the box I was thinking in of. In four was, years' what, time, years old? I've, I've said Daniel Dubois will beat AJ this time next year, maybe even early next year. They won't take that fight because everyone knows how it will go. So you don't think they'll ever fight? Um, Someone puts a big enough checkup, then absolutely. Is it? Could it be a pass-the-torch fight in the future? Uh, it'll be a lights-out fight. Forget passing the torch. It's straight <laughs> lights-out. Um, is it worth touching on what Steve mentioned in... In confidence, now no, I'm joking. <laughs> now on, on your on your show, that that whole heavyweight tournament thing. There's a question about it. Yeah, okay. I'm just about to go. Perfect. Um, 
if the heavyweight bo- from Ben LOFC. <clears throat> what? <clears throat> LOFC. Excuse what the fuck's me? LOFC? Leighton Orient. Yeah, Second biggest team in North London after Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the league table, they're not motherfucker. <laughs> league tables aren't permanent. Class is. <laughs> that was Thursday night in Moscow. Uh, well, we won. Classy. Congratulations. Yeah, nothing like putting five goals on teams from Liverpool. You could learn from us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if the the he- podcast that goes anywhere. <laughs> right. If the heavyweight World Boxing Super Series does go ahead... Do you think it will be uh, it will get all top flighters in the division signing up? I assume money will be the decider. Uh, I I suspect. Just, I mean, wouldn't this be a massive cash cow? Right. So to put the the meat on the bones, what Terry was just talking about, I do a thing on Tuesday night with Steve Goodwin um, that we record, and he was talking about when he was down at the Groves Cox Bill that he'd heard that the heavyweights are the next weight division to be signed up for this World Boxing Super Series which is <clears throat> apparently the reason why a lot of these heavyweights are being kept apart right now is just to preserve their records so that when the World Boxing Super Series kicks off, you've got a lot of very good records and people that haven't fought before and it drills the interest. Um, which I was querying, like there has to be so much money involved in it to make that viable, to make it feasible. Yeah. And apparently there is. Apparently there is like that much money that it would make it worthwhile for even Anthony Joshua who is selling out stadiums to sign up to this, that, that money, that income, if you can say to Joshua, presumably you'll get to the final, like if he can back himself to say that, then that money for three fights would surpass, apparently, the money that he would be getting for three standard, you know, title defences. But I think, well, number one, I've always said what people tell us Joshua earns, what he earns, vastly different figures. Um, secondly, more importantly... You know, that heavyweight tournament shouldn't be hard to make. Wilder would do it for five million a fight. Joshua would do it for eight, nine million a fight because you can't guarantee that elsewhere. And then once those two are in, everyone else will jump in. So guys like Gerald Miller would jump in on that. You know, Brian Jennings would jump in. You might, you might even get Pulev come out of, you know, his self enforced injury. And I am confident that one of the slots will be specifically reserved for Shannon Briggs. And I know people, I know people laugh at this, but can you imagine as you make Shannon Briggs, one of the fighters and they do that thing in Monaco where you got to select someone. (laughs) That would be absolutely brilliant. Him in Bermuda shorts, topless, no shoes. You'll have him and Luis Ortiz just swapping needles. Like, No, I, I'm excited by it because that will do great numbers. And can you imagine if out of nowhere, Fury just walked down? Yeah. And Only he, fill seven slots. Yeah. And then the big man fucking rolls himself in. Yeah, you're there. The number four seed's got to pick. And it's like, but there's no one here for me. <laughs> and almost that Stone Cold Steve Austin music does it. And he just walks out. It's exactly what I'm thinking there. I'm thinking, yeah, that would be great if boxing had any organization or, or anyone pulling but, but, behind but, the scenes but listen Kelly probably does enough powder for that to be a viable idea <laughs> <laughs> three to four kilos 
<laughs> he said it himself. That's his admission. Not I'm. It's not my accusation. Yeah, but what was the what was what was the how was the question exactly? Somebody phrased? said how much coke do you do? Yeah, but it was on the night candy of, or something. When it yeah, was something so, like that. Uh, party powder. Or how much party powder do you do on a fight night? Is like three do to four like, kilos. Do you smash up your honker or something? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the bit. It was something <laughs> like that. Wonderful. What um, a legend. Um, okay, so we have strayed really, really off topic. BT card that we were discussing. The, the Sky card, actually. Oh, we're still on Bell Sky card. Uh, people say Ormond was robbed. Boring as shit fight. Who cares? Um, who cares about the rest of the match from card? Anthony Fowler. Right. Never it, someone looked so good missing with punches. Well, Greg Fight Talk has asked, is Anthony Fowler the best we've ever seen at looking as though he's <laughs> punching hard? <laughs> I.e. sound effects, visuals, facial expressions. He's a CGI fighter. He is. <laughs> but the thing is, I said this before, I said, just look at what happened to the guy in the Olympics. He got bullied about. So you're now in a professional world at 154 where there's some real monsters. You know, you couldn't even put him in with Cornelius Canine Bundridge. Jesus, like, how, how many times are fans going to believe this nonsense? Stop tuning in. Stop watching. Anthony Fowler is the guy that was in the WSB. And I saw this at your corner. And this Mexican guy who looked like he'd only taken a boxing last year gave him an absolute pasting, you know. And I felt sorry for him because like Fowler looks the part. But if we're being brutally honest, it's a tough game at that, at that top level. And he's not. he won't get there. Because he should have been there by now. And that's not being horrible. That's just being realistic. Yeah, but- let's let's be clear. He's had over two hundred amateur fights. Two hundred nineteen, if my memory serves me correct. Wow. Two hundred nineteen amateur fights. Look at where Joe Joyce has started his career, and they're not miles apart in age. Be clear about that as well. Look at where Joe Joyce started, and look at where Anthony Fowler is after four fights. He's not getting rid of these people. So this whole um, this whole dream that's been sold to us about. Anthony Fowler's a, ha- a hard puncher. All this stuff, it's not its not the case. He should be wiping these guys out. And I don't mean wiping them out when they're on one knee like he did in his debut. <laughs> what I mean is legitimately wiping these guys out. And he's not. So questions have to be asked of where he's going. And hopefully, look, he's the ideal one for me that will go down the English and British title route just to really test him out in that division. Um, should we move on from the Sky card to the BT card? Oh, let's please, do it. let's do. I enjoyed the BT card. Uh, I'm starting uh, off with that. Yeah, and 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 let, let, let's be honest. It was a stronger card than the Sky card. Right. So who Again. was on? Who was on the card? All right. So let's start off. Um, it started with Zelfa Barrett, and I can't remember who he was fighting against, but it was an English title fight. The reason I can't remember how he was, who he was fighting against. Zelfa Barrett was so good. Zelfa Barrett has got a career. I think he's 18 and 0, probably 19 and 0 now after last night. Those 18 fights are against piss-poor opposition on the whole. Probably 16, maybe 17, potentially 18. Pretty poor opponents. But what he's done is he's done that all on the small hall scene. He's done it learning his trade, learning his craft, under Pat Barrett, his uncle, on the Black Flash promo shows up north. He's done a very, very, very good job of bringing Zelfa Barrett through. Zelfa Barrett looks a legitimate, legitimate prospect. Um, everything about him, those left hooks to the body that he was throwing from the first bell, they took their toll by the middle of the fight and that was what ultimately hurt his opponent to the, to the point where he couldn't carry on. That Just simple, 
jab, cross, left hook to the body. And it was working almost every time. He's going to have harder fights in his career as he progresses through. But I want to see those harder fights. And it made me excited to see those harder fights, how well he handled somebody at English level. Because let's make no mistake, like and they're not the same weight categories, etc. But that guy, the Zelfa Barrett fought last night, is a better standard than who Anthony Fowler was fighting. Zelfa Barrett did a far better job than what Anthony Fowler did against a harder opponent, you know, pound for pound wise, if we're talking that way. Yeah. And that's what gets me excited about something like that. And not Anthony yeah. Fowler. Is that you could see in Zelfa Barrett a whole bundle of talent waiting to come out and it hasn't had the hype behind it. So I was just, I really, really liked the look of that lad. It was, it was a good fight. And, and he, he, he came out and it's almost like he had listened to the podcast and knew he had to make a statement at some point and he made a hell of a statement. Um, Everyone knows I love body punching because I think there's there's an elegance and an intelligence to body punching. You can't just do it. It's it has a risk to, make to sense. throw a body punch. Exactly. So you've got to know when to do it. And he was. It's not concussive power, but the punches are hard enough and accurate enough that they hit the spots that hurt you. Yeah, and every single time he threw it and landed it, you wouldn't have blamed, again, apologies for whoever it was that he was fighting. I just can't remember. and I can't be asked to look it up. You wouldn't have blamed him for folding in half <laughs> off of every single one of them. So fair play. <laughs> you apologise and then you go, but then you admit that you can't be bothered. Nah, to- <laughs> just can't, but it'd take me five <laughs> seconds as well. Yeah. Can't be bothered. I'm sorry. I don't know your name, but not sorry enough to do a five minutes. Uh, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I know. I'm a man I of like principle. The honesty. I like the honesty. Um, but every single time he landed that left hook to the body, you wouldn't have objected to the other guy crumbling and falling over in half because they were landing that flushly. I say they're the ones that took the air out of the tyres by the end. It was it was a clinical display. Um, what else happened on that card? Leon Woodstock against Craig Poxton. Leon Woodstock, Craig Poxton. Love Leon Woodstock. Yeah. I, he's, everything about him ticks the boxes where Start you Start outside the ring. Yeah. Lovely man. Like, everything about him. I was showing my, do you know what? I showed my wife videos of him last night just as they were building up to the fight. I was like, just look at him. He's different. And, I don't mean different in like a hey, wacky zany way. <laughs> I just mean in a bit, you know, he's taken route A and he's made route A.1 in how he handles himself out of the ring. Yes, he's a little bit of a gobshite at times, but he does it in a bow tie and suspenders. And like, he's got the, the dyed blonde hair, but he's actually very eloquent and he can talk Tribute very to me, well. apparently. A tribute to you. <laughs> apparently. You Remember, Ohara did it as well. Um, and yeah, so he's got that, and when you speak, he's got a, a lovely way of speaking and selling a story, not about himself, but about what he's doing boxing for. And I find that interesting about someone. I don't think he's ever going to be a world title holder. Look, I say the same about him as I'd say about Anthony Fowler. I don't think he's even ever going to win a world title, but I'd rather follow the Leon Woodstock story than the Anthony Fowler one. But for, in terms of that fight, what a fight. And I, I think everyone needs that fight in their career where... Yes, there's not a lot coming back. Like you're not really getting damaged by your opponent, but he's not falling over. So, so Woodstock had to fight the ten, and he has to fight them properly. And now he knows what it's like to go to the well, and that was good. My like, punch picking was brilliant. He was able to stay inside when he needed to, take half a step back when he needed to. He was going to the body with both hands. I mean, he was coming round the outside behind the elbow. He was shoveling body shots up the middle, and. How tough is Craig Poxton? Yeah, that cut Can he got in round two we just have, carry through that. And the, and the eyebrow just opened up. Why can't he run ITV boxing? You know? 
Or an absolute class act. Um, I mean, valiant in defeat. For Leon Woodstock, it's like, well, where do you go next? Um, you know, could you jump in with a Boy Jones Jr.? Be, be an interesting enough well, fight. Craig Poxton beat Boy Jones Jr. That, you know, Craig Poxton, show how tough he is. He went with Boy Jones Jr., took a bit of a pace to him for like six, seven rounds, and in the ninth round, stopped him. He's such a tough man, Craig Poxton. He hung in there all the way through that Boy Jones Jr. fight. Doesn't punch overly hard, but... That was always the risk last night when you're watching Leon Woodstock. Is it in the back of your head? You're thinking Craig Poxton did this to Boy Jones Jr., sat it out for eight, nine rounds, and then was able to stop him when the young lad was tired. Leon Woodstock, full credit for him to not suffer in the same fate. Right, so that fight was for the WBO European title, right? Yes. Um, the question comes in from Paul Altai. Woo! Cheers for this, Paul. <laughs> Is- he set this up. <laughs> is uh, and we'll, put we'll, it on a team. I'll allow you to pad this out with context afterwards. But is the fact there are so many regional and international belts preventing good domestic fights? Are they just a cheap marketing tool? Well, second point, definitely yes. But um, now this relates to a tweet that you made during uh, Saturday's fight. Right. So during this fight, I tweeted something about if Craig Poxton wins this for the WBO European belt. I bet he can't wait to defend it and pay the WBO sanctioning fees and blah, blah, blah. In other words, right, this is a fight between the Southern Area Champion in Craig Poxton and the Central Area Champion in Leon Woodstock. Two grafting lads. This should be for the English title, but for whatever reason isn't. So they couldn't get these two into place for it or whatever. So you put a WBO European title on the line for it. So it's the same WBO European title Anthony Yarde holds for beating Biryani. Or Prestigious. Prestigious, yeah. Right. So, in essence, this should put him, I think, into the top 15 in the world for holding the WBO European title. What a crock of absolute bollocks. Like, beating Craig Poxton should not put you anywhere in the top 50 in the world. Craig Poxton at his weight class does not... He does not hold any value to be in the top 50 in the world. Top 100, maybe. And that's no disrespect to Craig Poxon, but we know where Craig Poxon is. And so for that to be, if it does indeed elevate Leon Woodstock into the top 15, then it's a shambles. And I was having this debate with Ant Connolly. Ant Connolly, former boxer, Irish lad. I like Ant Connolly a lot, but we had different ends of the spectrum on this. In that he was saying, you know, from a management perspective, these regional titles are really, really valuable because, you know, it gives a boost to the lads. It it moves them up the rankings. I'm like, right, I I know that. I'm not a fucking idiot. Like, I know that that's why these belts (laughs) exist. So the WBO can charge you £2,000 to sanction that fight. The WBO take their, I don't know, hypothetically two grand. The winner gets a WBO European belt. But that WBO European belt, honestly, like, if my house was on fire, I'd throw it back in. Like I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't try and retrieve it. What I find it's... confusing about those sort of level belts is that if you're a casual, as I would still consider myself to be, you don't. I I don't care enough about the sport. So here's the thing. About... Here's and the if... thing. Ant Conley was saying, look, what well, you can tell fans, and he he said this himself in his tweet. What it is is that you can tell fans now, and you can announce it on the way to the ring that he's the WBO European champion. So you as a casual fan, a casual observer, next time you see Leon Woodstock and they say he's a WBO European champion, if you know fuck all about what you're watching, then you might go, wow, Leon Woodstock's the best in Europe. Yeah, that's true. I suppose you would think that, yeah. Whereas in actuality, he's not the best in England. And like, <laughs> he's, he's not won the English titles yet. He's won his, his area title. 
And so for it to be painted as you're the best in Europe is nothing but yeah. misleading, total, utter farce. And it's not just a WBO that you dig out for this. It's like, on that note as well, Ian Lewison's still the WBO Asia-Pacific champion. Like, what the fuck? Is- oh, I don't get that, but... Well, he's the biggest man in Asia. Yeah, maybe like maybe when he maybe released outside his, of Japan, when he released his belt or whatever, part of him was in Asia. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he um, won it in sumo. <laughs> yeah. um, but look, the point is, you know, the WBA have their international titles. The WBC have their regional titles. They all yeah, do and their it. silver belts and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, they Which all Dillian's do it. fighting for, isn't he? He is. Yeah, against Hellenius. They all do it. It's not digging out the WBO in particular. So they it's are just, just a team. And, and, and can we be clear about this? This is what makes it really messed up. Dillian's fought no one on the WBC list. But he's going for the silver title. Which might make him number one contender. Yeah. Having fought nobody on the list. That's, the, uh, I'll repeat my statement of the day. You boxing fans buy into all of this. Not all of you. We're not digging yeah. all of you out. But, but if you buy into this bollocks and you're watching the IFL interviews where people tell you these belts are important and you're not challenging it and you're not questioning it, you get what you deserve. And just to finish off on it, look, these belts will never go away. I understand that. I accept that. It's just that they get used to sell a story that is a lie to people. And that's what I don't like about it is that you can't say Leon Woodstock is the best in Europe. This is where people say that sometimes we're unbalanced. We might favour people we like. I like Leon Woodstock a lot. I love him a lot. He's a good man. He seems like a really good man. He's a good fighter. I really enjoy watching him. But he is not the best in Europe. I, I don't even know if he'll ever be the best in Europe. But to, to portray this thing and to put him into, say, the top 15. And what's the rush with it? The lad's so young. Why do you want him in the top 15 in the world right now? It's not like you're going to have him in a world title fight. It's not like if that fucking world title became possible for him. Or Lomachenko. Yeah. It's not like if he was available in January, you'd go, yeah, Leon Woodstock will take that. Because you wouldn't. Because you want to go through trying to pick up some of the English or the British titles and that. Um, and same with Jack Cattrall. He was on this card, right? Jack Cattrall, before last night, Jack Cattrall's going into this challenging for the British title. He's not even the British title holder on Friday. He is today. But he was ranked number three with the WBO because he's held one of these intercontinental whatever titles. He was ranked number three in the world with the WBO. Like, if ever you need evidence that these titles just fuck everything up yeah, Jack Cattrall is it and again I'm a big fan of Cattrall I like him but I almost feel like we've I mean it's, it's, I suppose it's going to be a running thing the running theme through boxing forever but we've almost flogged to death the concept of the ranking stru- system just it the bullshit around it yeah, <laughs> it's, so it's made up of a load of belts that people pay a bit of money for that ultimately are absolutely but, but, meaningless but, but, but here's the problem though here's the problem and I think it's been exacerbated in, in the Twitter world right you have these numbnuts, these basement dwellers, these Pornhub addicts arguing Why with each other. Andy? <laughs> <laughs> arguing with each other over who's a better boxer. The first thing they resort to is, well, he's ranked number three in the WBO. That's why people get these shitty trinkets, because it makes the debate easier online and it gets your fighter more traction. That's why people are saying Dillian White should fight Deontay Wilder, but there's no logic behind it. And I like Dillian. I've always said this about Dillian. Dillian's one of these people who is probably just a legitimate hard man. Maybe not the greatest boxer, just a very hard man. And much like I enjoy Amin Mansour for that same reason. I like Dillian. But Dillian hasn't fought 
Duhapis. He hasn't fought, you know, even as Arthur Spilsker. He hasn't fought anyone on that WBC list for us to go, well, he beat these three guys. He has to fight Wilder next. Because Hearn doesn't want to risk him because they're keeping him warm for the AJ rematch. And boxing fans don't call him out on this. They're not criticizing Hearn and they're not making a stand to say, stop giving us bullshit fights for bullshit belts. Give us the fights that we want and we will pay for them. Because right now you'll pay for any old dross. In terms of our listenership, I I feel fairly confident, and this is purely out of the blue, but um, it's me having a hunch. But I suspect that most of the people that listen to this podcast are somewhat more educated than casuals. No, I would agree. I would be yeah. surprised if so, too many bought into it. I, I, think, I think there's a certain... Be- a wider message. Yeah. yeah. I think, there, I think there's a base level of intelligence you require to listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Tyrone Nurse took on Jack Cattrall um, at, uh, in Belfast, sorry. Well, right. in Leeds. Oh, was it Leeds? This what, was in was uh, Leeds, mate. Oh, sorry. I First thought we we've crossed back over the ocean now. Right, the ocean. <laughs> um, so, Nurse took on Cattrall uh, in Leeds. Yeah. Um, Martin, you're the only one that saw this. All right, so British super lightweight title fight. Tyrone Nurse looking to do his third defence when the belt outright. Cattrall hyped from everywhere, right? He's been out of the ring quite a while. He came on the scene and then he's doled off and this is his kind of opportunity to break out. Isn't this a guy... He's the only Brit, I think, who sparred both Sparred Mayweather Canelo. and Canelo. Yeah. Um, so he's he's obviously highly touted and highly thought of. So this is opportunity. Tyrone Nurse, I've described him before. I'll say it again. It's not an insult. He's a Tesco value Mayweather. Nothing wrong with that. Right? But he's got all the same uh, skillful defense. He can slip every single... There was a period of about five, ten seconds where Cattrall must have thrown ten shots, just straight shots. Just jab, cross, jab, cross, jab, cross. And Nurse just slipped every one of them. And you know he's got those dreads that stick out the back. He was just shaking his head from side to side, just slipping every single shot, and Cattrall couldn't lay a glove on him. Um, but unfortunately for him, that wasn't the story for the whole of the fight. <laughs> Tyrone Nurse has got a good four or five inches on Cattrall. Um, and Tyrone Nurse has the skill set to be able to make that fight, just Tyrone Nurse sticking Cattrall on the end of his jab, throwing the lead right, which he was doing, he was catching him with at will. But then Tyrone Nurse just seems to forget what he's meant to be doing and goes, yeah, all right, I like having a fight. Let's have a fight. (laughs) And so that's what he would seem to do is that instead of using every natural advantage he's got over Cattrall, he was letting Cattrall, who's a southpaw, just like at times just take everything inside and start dominating, working the body with shots, throwing lead lefts, catching Nurse. Um... Neither fight had really asserted themselves to the point where you would say they were a dominant winner, but Cattrall clearly did enough that you would give him the fight. Like you would hard, you'd be hard to justify Nurse coming out of that with a belt. It's not that hard to justify Cattrall. And the thing is, that's been coming for a while. How many times have we been speaking about? It's yeah, only a matter of time until someone catches Nurse at this game because he's 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 had probably three fights in a row where he's had to come from behind. But what I like about Nurse, right? He's a British level fighter. We know that now. Like, let's never, ever, ever talk about Tyrone Nurse getting a world title fight. Again, it's in the criticism, right? Tyrone Nurse is an honest professional. Trained by his old man, Chris Aston, up in uh, Huddersfield. But he can stick there at British level. His next fight should be for the British title. Whether that's against Jack Cattrall or someone else, I don't know. But that's where we know he's at now. 
And he ought to just stick there. He's still young enough. Just have a career around that. But Jack Cantrell now can hopefully go on and maybe justify some of the hype around him. But the fact is that Tyrone Nurse, we know because he's got those losses. He's got the draw with Chris Jenkins on his card. He's got a few losses from back in his career. He turned pro at like 19. This is about his 28th fight. He's only about 26 like years old. No, he's, he's really... He's, the expression is he's really dirt-tracked it. Yeah, yeah. And like, again, I, I admire that out of a professional. Um, there's no like glitz and glamour about Tyrone Nurse. But we know where he's at. Now, Jack Cattrall, you're never going to look good against Tyrone Nurse. I think that's fair to say. You're never going to look it because Tyrone Nurse is so slippy. And I say, he's just always switching those gloves around, bringing them up by his head, slipping in and out, in and out of shots. But he's lazy with it at times. And maybe that's because he overworks when he is on the defensive. He doesn't do the offensive enough. He, he lacks intensity. So he's a guy that, like, you know, you look at him and you look at some of the, the decent Americans in that weight class. And what I love about them is how they maintain that concentration. So they know, I want to keep you at the end of my jab, and that's all I care about. Having a fight isn't what I'm being paid to do right now. Whereas I think with Nurse, he buys into that whole North fucking Yorkshire, no, man, no, 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 no. Do you know what he reminds me of, right? Jose Mourinho got like slated for when United went to Liverpool and like just part the bus, nil-nil, we'll take that because it's one point and that helps us achieve our, our final aim. Jurgen Klopp goes to Spurs today and gets pelted 4-1 um, and they can't defend for shit. And like, you don't, he doesn't have the ability to adapt to what he's trying to do or like use his skill sets to achieve his ultimate aim because if he uses skill sets of being able to stick him on the end of that jab he proved during the fight it was effective it was working he was keeping Cantrell at range but instead of doing that he tried to do all the stuff that Liverpool would do which is like ah let's go and have a bit of a tear up mm. but he wasn't good enough to do that <laughs> and Cantrell you know it suited Cantrell stick to, to what you're good at stick Austin. to what you're good at yeah Instead of doing that, he's playing to the fans and like... Stay in your lane. Um, Jack Cattrall versus Josh Taylor. Andrew Lee Evans asks, how do you see that panning out? That's a massacre. Josh Taylor, based on last night, and apparently Jack Cattrall was really drained making that weight as well. And he's not a big man for it. I met Josh Taylor on Friday night. I was having a chat with him for a minute or so. Um, I, I was surprised how tall Josh Taylor is. He's a tall man for the weight. Did you say he was small when you went to the boxing dinner? Nah, I was pissed then. Um, <laughs> he is he's, he's Josh Taylor's no really I said Anthony Yarde's small when I was at the ah. boxing dinner was, they're probably about the same height <laughs> no no Taylor's taller is he what than Yarde yeah he's huge yeah um, I, was, I was surprised I was chatting with Craig at Fight Talk um, was stood there I was chatting um, or interrupting grabbed him but um, yeah like he isn't even a fight for me Josh Taylor despite all the hype around Catron I mean that's his first real test as a fight he would not stand a chance, in my view, against Josh Taylor. But I actually think Josh Taylor, despite the fact he's never gone for that British title, he now never will. Like He's taken on Vasquez uh, in November up in Edinburgh. He doesn't need to go to that British title now. I think it's a shame he could have won it and never defended it and moved on. Yeah. Um, but I think once he beat O'Hara Davis, it put him in a different bracket. Yeah, O'Hara Davis is who Jack Cattrall should fight next. No doubt about it. Um... Should we plug the live show? Give it a quick plug. Go. We will be live showing ourselves at the Etzica <laughs> Theatre. Wait, wait, wait. Bearing <laughs> our souls. Yeah. Yeah. At the, uh, the Etzica Theatre. That sounded like bearing our souls. 
Which, well, given that Andy's just said he's going to reveal himself, like yeah, I mean, if, if I'm honest, I can't really articulate this well. My brain's right. Look, all right, I'll, simpl- I'll simplify it. Right, there's been a lot of BS on social media about people going, "Why, why would you charge people for this?" Well, actually, we're just charging so we can have a venue. Like, you know I mean, we're, 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 we're not ripping anyone off. Because making it, any money? If the venue, <laughs> if the venue was free, we charge you for the beer. Do you know what I mean? Like, we, we, we just so we could supply something. So understand that. Secondly, and most importantly, what you hear is not necessarily what you see. We think we're adding two or three, maybe even four different dimensions to the overall experience by doing this. And more importantly, I think it's a chance for you guys to put faces to the tweets that you share back and forth. So, I I can't see a downside to this, and I know people. On their, on their, you know, second, third, fourth rate podcast, will probably try and dig us out. Some might even get personal, which you know they're off fun to do, especially north of the border. Don't really care. You know what I mean, you know what I mean, keep keep giving us haters. But the fact of the matter is, you show up on December eighteenth, you won't be disappointed. You don't show up on December eighteenth, you're probably someone who's been in the same job for twenty years and will never get promoted. <laughs> Look, I mean. Just to quickly touch on that financial side of it. There have been people saying like, uh, why would you charge for it? I'll give you the very honest breakdown of it. If we sell every ticket that's going for it, I think in total we would make about 60 quid, 70 quid between the three of us. Now, bear in mind that Andy and I are going from Milton Keynes to London for the night to do this and stay in a hotel... Essentially, we're out of pocket of this regardless. This isn't about trying to make money. We're not fucking Cy Clayton, for God's sake. We're not in this to try and make or money. Brian or Brian the Wanker King. Or, or Tell even, him I said that. Or, or clearly, even businessmen. Or even businessmen. <laughs> uh, are we philanthropists? Not really. We're just enjoying it. And like, if you pay to do a hobby, that's basically what we're doing. Yeah. Is having a bit of a go at it. And the idea is, look, we fill a room with hopefully whatever it is, 50, 40 people. And right, a small little theatre. And... We'll just have a bit of a laugh. And, and if it takes off, we're off to Edinburgh next summer. Be be clear about that. This will, <laughs> this will be Edinburgh. Right, so to not make it entirely defensive, I think it will be an enjoyable experience. Um, Didn't I just say that? Yeah, no, that's fair. So look, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the whole point <laughs> yeah. is that we all get together. We all have a yeah. bit of a laugh. Uh, we'll bring some Cheetos. We'll, um, and also it's a chance for people to challenge us live like you guys listen to yeah. the podcast and you get pissed off with the stuff we say you can pull us up live make me look even more of a penis which would be yeah well. we just want to have a laugh really get 40 or big boxing people together in a room you and, can have a and, decent and, laugh and, and you know what here's a weird thing if Bell you were to win on the Sunday those tickets would treble in value for people just there like I need to, to see his you face out. yeah I need to see his face so yeah do come it'll be fun and bring a friend. Uh, I just need to do some little housekeeping jobs in terms of uh, questions that I've From so ticket far EA. missed. From TicketEA.com. TicketEA.com. December 18th, Camden. Etc. Theatre. Will Joe Joyce be moved along too quickly by Haymaker? Just a, qu- just a quick... This is from the Boxing Madman. A couple of questions that I've missed out when it has... Cool. Uh, as we've gone through. Will it be too quickly? It depends what his level ends up as. So Terry was right earlier. They ought to be going for Sam Sexton. If they don't go for Sam Sexton, they ought to be going for Gary Cornish, who Sam Sexton's just beaten. And that'll give us an idea. Because, I mean, that was such a close fight between those two. It wasn't a good fight by any means, but then neither was Joe Joyce's. So put him in with Sam Sexton if you can get him, Gary Cornish if you can't. Nathan Gorman, let's have that fight. I'll be happy with that. Um, Nathan Gorman's going to smash Nick Webb to pieces up in Newcastle convinced about that 
Um, Nathan Gorman be a good fight for me. Yeah. Just put him in like, I think, let him fight Sexton. If he wins that British belt, let him have a couple of couple of fluffy defences. I mean, we'll bring Dom Akinladi out of semi-retirement. You know, you can bring out, oh, God knows, who who else is still floating around who has a Get name. Michael Sprott. Yeah. yeah. Just, just get some of these Skelton. names. Skelton. Get Skelton. But, but, but let's also have a clear Danny roadmap. Williams doing. <laughs> let, let, <laughs> let's have a clear roadmap that says, all right, Paul Smith. At some point, Joyce is going to be looking at Chisora. Then he's going to be looking at White. Then he's going to be looking at whoever. Let's, let, let's get to that point because... He still needs his chin tested, I think. Like, properly tested. Lewison landed a nice few right hands, like clean right hands, early on in the fight. Early enough that he probably mm. still had something left in the tank. Yeah. Um, and I thought Joyce took them well. Don't get me wrong, there'll be bigger tests if he goes on to, to higher levels. But there was enough in those punches to make me think, eh, he's not Audley Harrison. Yeah, I agree. Um, But I want to repeat this so it's clear. What they're doing with Joyce conceptually is the right thing. No four-rounders, no six-rounders, mate. Just crack on. Uh, where do you see Anthony Fowler progressing to in his career? Car theft. <laughs> Driving under the influence. Progression. That's progression. British <laughs> title. Tops. Uh, mate, look, look. No, no. I'm not WBO gonna, European you know, champ. I'm not going to take shots at Fowler. Look, my, my view on Anthony Fowler is... <laughs> you just did. No, no. I mean, seriously. My view on Anthony Fowler is... Get as far as your talent can go, mate, but don't be afraid to challenge yourself and good luck to wherever you end up. Uh, who wins Selby v. Warrington? There's another question that's even better than that, to be honest. I, uh, who, who asked that one? Uh, they still, all, all of that is the boxing madness. Uh, okay. There's a better question regarding the exact same two fighters. Uh, from Mo Hassan, would Selby even need to train to beat Warrington? <laughs> so I suspect that... Who wins Selby versus Warrington? Wait a minute. I've just realised. I have so little interest in Josh Warrington. We've covered the entire Josh Warrington card without talking about Josh Warrington. <laughs> Against Chalen. Uh, Josh Warrington beat Chalen. Borfair scorecards. Walk forward, know, one, two. Whatever. Walk forward, one, two. Walk forward, one, two. Eventually stopped him. I actually turned it off in round six or round seven. Wow. Because I was so bored of it. And I'm bored of Josh Warrington. I'm bored. Look, what I do think about him is that I admire the fact that he's talked about at world level because it's frankly not very interesting. He might be... He's got no power about him. I know he stopped Chalen last night. He was undefeated. Um, but Chalen was rubbish. Just for the record, just, just to talk about probably the the main event of the night. How good is Frampton on commentary? Yes. Yes. Like, like he brought some real star power to whatever BT and Box Nation are doing. Once you get Frampton on there, there's definitely some star power there. So that's definitely BT1 Sky nil because, I mean, when you've got, when the BT little guys, Carl Frampton and the Sky little guys, Penfold, then, you know, life gets a bit tricky. Yeah, but no, like Josh Warrington, I don't, I, I cannot get behind it one iota. And so the question about so would Selby, Selby, yeah, does he even need to train to beat Josh Warrington? I the answer is no. No, I don't, I don't think so because he doesn't seem to have a boxing brain, Josh Warrington. He just seems to have a single gear, not even dissimilar to Joe Joyce. Joe Joyce, all he seems to be able to do is go forwards. And that's all that Josh Warrington seems to be able to do is walk forwards and throw punches. There's no reverse gear to them. There's no ability to stop and think in a boxing sense. I think Joe Joyce overthinks everything, like, almost... Well, I can't even work it out. You know how 
there's a bit in The Hangover 2 where Alan is in a casino and he's got all the numbers going through his head as he's trying to work out, like Rain Man, adding up all the odds of something. That's almost what I imagine Joe Joyce's head's like every time he throws a punch. He's just got algorithms. Like, like, like Big Blue. Yeah, <laughs> he's got that going through his head. Josh Warrington, I imagine, is just like... Uh, Big Blue with the plug pulled out. <laughs> <laughs> Little Blue. Um, no, I'd imagine he's like that... Um, uh, like a nodding donkey. You know, those things you see out in the oil field they just dip up and down. It's just that. That's all that's going on in Josh Warrington's head every time he's in a ring. Um, right. Um, okay, let's move on. That This is all housekeeping anyway. Well, I kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, you tweeted, Martin... Did I? Shit. If you need evidence of how little Lewison has prepared for this fight, they've just had to tape up his shorts. Yes. Uh, the British boxing blog then replied to that. This was a good chance for him to prepare as any. He said he'd have no excuses and had ample time to get ready. What happened? Now, again, we did talk about this earlier, but just briefly, do we have any any answers for that? The only thing that was ample was his titties. <laughs> okay. He had like eight weeks to prepare for this. Eight weeks. Yeah, and he but, came out but, looking like But, but Domino's got in the way. <laughs> Papa have John's got, got in the tomorrow way. tomorrow night? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I can't add any more to what we've already said. Yeah, I think Ian, Ian Lewis is at that point where he knows what he is. He's a name for prospects to beat. And he's like, as long as I'm fit enough to give him trouble for four rounds, that's what the crowd expect. It's enough. The rest of the time, I'll just share really funny videos on Facebook. Mo Hassan asks, how do you see the Eubank Groves fight panning out? Looks to me, Groves is a defeat waiting to happen. Now, I'm not sure how he how he's phrased. Is it? Does it mean is a defeat waiting to happen for Eubank? No, 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 I think for Groves is what he means. Is it? So it's a potential. I think you're about to get a huge disagreement from Terry. Yeah, well, don't ever, don't don't ever tweet that nonsense again. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Don't ever tweet that nonsense again. How dare you? How how dare you? Right. So, how do you see the Groves fight? Uh, with Eubank panning he, out. Here's the thing, right? And I go back to 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 Spencer, the knowledge Fearon. And I go back to when he was really negative about Golovkin. And he'd always say, look, Golovkin, yeah, pressure, yeah, combinations, whatever. He's too easy to hit. And anyone with a strong jab and a strong backhand will give Golovkin trouble because he struggles with people who move and people with long arms. And he was right. But then for him to say Eubank will beat Groves is like, well, you can't take the logic you used in one case, turn it upside down, put some Tabasco sauce on it, and then try and flip it out on your toe-to-toe podcast, right? It's, it, and people are buying this. George Groves, I'm telling you now, I've taken people into Spa Groves who have that similar style and work rate to Eubank Jr. And they've got granite chins. And I've seen what happens when that straight right lands on your nose. Everyone stops dead in their tracks. Everyone. Yeah? Be clear about that. Everyone. And we haven't seen what happens to Eubank when he gets banged about properly, when he starts to get marked up and cut and stuff. We haven't seen that yet. And he'll find that out against Groves. Groves is not easy to hit. Choo-choo! Chugga, 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 chugga. I'm getting on board, man. Eubank hype train. He's going <laughs> to smash him. He's going he's gonna to take Groves' soul. Oh, really? Six rounds, tops. What? Eubank's Six rounds. Eubank Groves. smashes him. Ooh. Smashes him. Why I've, not got, I've not got any logic. I've not got any stats, facts, figures, nothing. 
Just I'm all aboard the Eubank hype train, man. <laughs> it's uh, don't try and ask me to justify this with sense, Terry, because I'm not. All right, <laughs> I'm not giving you any sense to no. it. I'm going to be there whenever it is. I spoke with Chris on Friday. Danny O2. It's going to be in January. It's going to be in the UK. That's all so I know about. You're, it. you're using the Liverpool for the title philosophy. Well, what basis do you think they're going to win the title? No, they just got the heart. They got the heart. <laughs> he's got the soul. He's got the chin. He's got everything about him. <laughs> He's going to go in there and he's going to take the soul of George Groves. He's going to leave him in whichever London venue it is. George Groves is going to end his career there and then. It's all going to be over. Chris wow. Eubank goes on. very dramatic. He smashes Callum Smith, Jurgen Bremer, Rob Brandt, whoever it is in the final. Chris Eubank will win this. Based on no just, science. Yeah, Terry. I looked at Terry then, and um, he was looking at Martin with the best way I can use his disdain. <laughs> <laughs> you shock almost. Choo, choo. I'm leaving the stage. You, you could give Chris Eubank a drone with 18 Hellfire missiles, right? And he might just get a cut on George Groves' eyebrow with it. <laughs> that punch that he stopped James Jamie Cox with was sickening. It was so horrible. It, last just... time I saw someone laid out like that at Wembley was George Groves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, everyone says Choo-choo! that. Groves got hit by a punch that Frotch didn't even know he threw. <laughs> like, it was just one of those where you go through every one of Carl Frotch's fights, he's never thrown that punch in his life. And out of nowhere, under the most extreme pressure and realising he's about to get beat by George Groves because he can't win a round against maybe the greatest super middleweight this country's produced. <laughs> Boom. He, he just found it. He found it. Man. Like, he, that, that's, that, I mean, he must have dug that out from his days sparring David Hay and getting his nose bust open. So, yeah, right. I ain't basing this on anything. It's just you've got two very odd ends of the spectrum you're gonna have terry shouting the gross corner i'm all about you bank well, it's, it's, it's very rare that you two tend to agree so vociferously over uh disagree sorry over well, who's gonna win um and normally i just go for the alternative and normally somehow that happens you go for the draw mate so i could go for the draw couldn't i um but you're betting on green in the casino mate on a roulette wheel Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for me it's George Groves. I but I think that's probably the best Fucking casual. I think that's probably the best full parties as well because I don't think it's not like Eubanks' career would end if he lost to George Groves. But uh, that's what, that's what my casual nonsense brain tells me. I, I'd I'd be backing Groves personally. Um, Craig, a fight talk. Who would win a fight between Danny Connor and Big Vern? Does Big Vern need a training camp? Do you think he overstepped the mark with comment? Um, and uh, there's no comment here for for reference. I've I've lived through this, right? So just by way of context, so people understand, Danny Connor fights anywhere between lightweight, like super lightweight, and welterweight. Um, British boxing stalwart for the last 10 years has great had three good fights with Tyler Goodjohn had a couple of Chris Evangelou yeah he's been in he look he's one of those guys that anyone in the boxing world when they meet Danny Connor it does a smile because Danny's just a good honest guy from southwest London and Nottingham for a bit who's who says what he thinks gives his opinion was with us at the MTK show if you remember Andy so he did the commentary when I stepped out. He did oh, okay. the commentary for the main yeah, event, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's Danny. You complimented how articulate it was, didn't you, Ryan? Yeah. yeah. So, the, so, the, so, that was, so 
So he tweets about how he got tickets off a mate for the Joshua Klitschko, but he can't make it, so he's selling them. I think he got them for 130 quid, sold them for 150. Now, the the Twitter rats, you know, these people whose life purpose is to hate and be negative, jump down this man's throat for for doing so. Like, oh, you're a scumbag, you're a boxer, you should know better than ripping off the fans. Not realize that Danny's been scratching a living. So I know Danny Percy. We've known each other for about 10 years. So on a Friday afternoon, if I've got an hour between meetings or whatnot, I'll go down and train and he'll normally be there. So it'll be me, Danny Connor, a lad called Aaron Arif as well, and a few kind of pros in their late or early 30s. And we all talk. Now, Danny's a good, trains his nuts off, always stays in shape, is always on fight weight. I've got a lot of respect for him. He's not a rich boxer. He has two or three jobs where he makes ends meet to feed his family, which I respect. So him making an extra 40 quid, I don't think it's a big crime. The problem was Big Vern, at Big Vern, everyone knows who he is. Vern's issue, and I know he listens to this, so I'm going to get a text or something that's going to have a go at me. He He's of the view that you can't tweet diplomatically. It's got to have an impact. You know, so, so his tweets will always be at the extreme end because he knows it gets attention and he gets retweets and likes. He's seen that someone's making money off tickets, thought it was something to do with StubHub, and it's just jumped in and said, you know, I hope, hope your family die of cancer or something, um, which is quoting Kenny Noy talking to the jury in his trial. From having spoken to both parties, Vern's view was he was just having a laugh and it got misconstrued. Danny's view is, you can't say that shit to me. He, I'm not a guy that takes that sort of nonsense. I understand why Danny's angry, and I also understand that Vern probably tweeted without thinking, and it's just basically a massive misunderstanding that a phone call and an apology would probably have sorted in five minutes. But it's escalated to phone numbers getting shared, addresses being sought, family members, and all of this, and it gets very messy. And this is from two people who have never met. Now, the big risk is they meet November 25th in Doncaster at the Steffi Ball Show. But well, they I, won't know what each other looks like, will they? Pardon? They, they won't know what each other looks like if they've done that. Oh, no, no, no. Pictures have been shared. Everyone, <laughs> everyone knows what everyone looks like. Martin looked at me with the same disdain yeah. that Terry looked at I him with. You so, shit. So, 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 look, my, my counsel to everyone involved is get on the phone call, have it out as men in a conversation, but just understand that this was a horrible misunderstanding that's just spiraled out of control. Um, it's but, a great example of why think before you tweet sometimes, a little bit. Wow, and that comes from Martin as that well. That comes from me. I don't tweet when I'm pissed. Yeah. And also, I make a point of it. I, I, I learned a lesson as well. Because, in, especially in boxing, you will meet the people you talk about. And you've got to have one of two things ready. Either you need to have a fucking damn good apology ready, or you need to have your balls in your hands and say, I stand by what I said. You can't hide. I've had that before. There you go. What, that it runs away from you? <laughs> um... Boxing fan, where does the Burnett unification leave Jamie Mack? Is he fight? Is he even seen as a champion? Um, only fighting in Monaco now. Clearly, Eddie is done with him. In WWE, there was a man called the Brooklyn Brawler. I think everyone remembers the Brooklyn Brawler, and his job was just—he was just a jobber. You know, you needed to put someone over like Shawn Michaels. He fought the Brooklyn Brawler. You needed to put someone over like Bret Hart. He fought the Brooklyn Brawler. Jamie McDonald's now in that category of just a guy Hearn gets to fill a card. 
but the problem is you've got Jamie. I feel so much for Jamie McDonald, a guy who's still a painter and decorator nine to five. He's been the WBA world champion for what eighteen months, twenty four months, something like that. And Hearn, Hearn doesn't give a shit about him. In the meantime, he's got Burnett, the world title, and then one defence. Well, Jamie McDonald sat around up north, twiddling his thumbs, painting and decorating. I think, was it the last time we saw him? Was the Monaco card? The one-way one where the, the points were debatable. Yes. But he still got the win. Isn't this the rematch? Is it the rematch to that in Monaco again? A year later. A year later. So you've got a feel for Jamie McDonald. Like, well, yes and no. He should never have left Dennis Hobson. Because, um, because, because at least Hobson... He saw the bright lights. You can't blame yeah. a young man for doing that. Yeah, but you know I mean, from, from what I heard, Hobson had said, mate, they just want to get you because you got a bit of attention in a belt. Once you get up there... He dropped the world title immediately, didn't he, when he yeah. went to matchroom? And yeah. Then, uh... And now look, he's lost. Whereas you, you imagine with Hobson, all right, you might not have fought on massive shows, but you'd have done that Donnie Dome a good few times and made a good living. Yeah, I say I don't blame a man for seeing the bright lights. I just I feel like Eddie is not looking after everybody within that stable. But he can't. And also we discuss this on every show, don't we? Hearn doesn't care about the fodder. He cares about that top layer that drives his revenue model. All that I'm amazed about is that Jamie McDonald's not being fit. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm slightly concerned. Maybe he thinks Jamie McDonald beats Ryan Burnett, and that's why he's not put the two together. But he doesn't even talk about it. He talks about Zolani Tete for Ryan Burnett. He doesn't talk about Jamie McDonald, who he controls. So <laughs> maybe he's hoping McDonald loses to Salit over in Monaco. Maybe he just wants fucking rid of him, I suspect. Or lose to Salit and then fight Ryan Burnett, maybe. Or just, I, I think I think what we're seeing is the Hearn equivalent of just not returning calls. <laughs> Do you know when you're just bored of someone and you don't want to end it? So you just stop accepting calls yeah. and you just stop talking in the hope that they'll get the signal. And I think I think Hearn's just like that with a few fighters at the moment. You know, I can see him doing that, like just putting someone at a weight that they've never fought. Like John at, just Ryder. Throwing, yeah. John Ryder, when he fought Patrick Nielsen down in London on the uh, Groves Cox undercard. I bet he was livid that John Ryder won that fight. <laughs> I bet he was livid because Patrick Nielsen was number one with WBA, I think it was. And then John Ryder's beating him. I bet he's like, I, I can't be fucked to get you a world title fight. <laughs> I forgot you existed. Like, why would I want to invest in you? So, yeah. And do I have the budget to pay all these sanctioning fees? Yeah. I bet he's livid that John Ryder won that. So, um, just to give some context to that um, Big Van uh, comment, because if people are driving, they're like, oh, I can't be bothered to look this up. <laughs> That's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, Timmy kind of alluded to it. Like, let's not dwell on it. I don't like, I don't like stuff like that. What? Yeah. Talking about it. I don't like giving the oxygen to it. It's a it's a pretty horrible comment. I'm sure he probably, if you gave him another opportunity, he wouldn't make the same comment. But stuff gets said about people on a personal level all the time. Let's not do that yeah. because it's horrible. We're all in boxing. And, what, to have a and bit one of, of the things I said as well is, if when you, and, and I'll, I'll probably broaden this, I've never understood why people think it's okay to just slag boxers off. Like I, I don't think there are many sports. I don't think Federer gets this. You know, Federer, no one who's got Federer, he's just a wank. Why are you so pristine and clean cut and have a good family and your wife looks okay and, you know, you're always winning stuff? I hate you. There's this thing about boxing that, the example I use is this. Um, for, for any listeners out there, if you're ever handy with your fists at school, right, you became like this figure that people looked at and went, 
Oh, I wonder what Andy would do against Martin. I wonder if Andy could beat Martin in a fight. You know, they'd do this, right? And then they'd, they'd be like, yeah, Andy, Martin said that, you know, yeah, he said you're a nonce. And, you know, they do all that, that stirring. And then you're just like, you know what? I don't need to fight anymore, right? I don't need to fight because I don't really feel like it. I'm not here to entertain you guys. Then they're like, nah, Andy's soft, man. You ain't shit. Nah, you're a bitch. Look at you, scared of Martin. And that's what, that's what boxing fans on Twitter are like. They turn on you when you're not giving them that sort of ignorance that they, they feed off. And I wouldn't fight Andy until the WBO European was on the line. <laughs> um, oh, now you're talking. That that would definitely put me in Which, the as it turns out, was offered to two 13-year-olds back in uh, <laughs> year nine of Stanbury yeah. Campus. And, and, and this is why boxers grow to hate the fans. Because let's understand this, right? You buy a ticket to watch a man fight. You don't buy a ticket mm. as a window into this guy's life. I don't know. I and, and no one signs up for I that. Like, like, if you buy a ticket for this show on the 18th, like, I don't want you making fucking judgments on my career choices. It's a peculiar sport in itself, really, just the way that the fighters have to talk about, say have to, generally tend to talk about themselves. Like, you look at, say, footballers, they get a ton of criticism if it's not the fact they're overpaid or their behaviour isn't good enough. There's plenty of sports where people get criticisms. But then with boxing, it's so easy to construe like, everything as cowardice. Yeah. Um, whether that's for the narrative you want to portray or because of genuine frustration uh, over two sportsmen who keep telling everyone how great they are but yet somehow manage to avoid each other or whatever. So I, I find boxing, <clears throat> as with everything, if, you, if you're if you genuinely criticising somebody for um, saying how great he is, uh, a boxer, and then avoiding a fight that you think is legitimate for him to go and take, that's one thing. But it's it's a very thin line between that and then somebody else criticizing someone who doesn't need to take a fight, who is legitimately avoiding that. But, but look how many times boxers have had to show up at people's houses or listen, wasn't it Scott Quigg who put Brian King's address up and went, this is where the guy lives, you know, yep. because like these guys like these Brian Kings, what they do is they all work in concerts. There's like six or seven of them. Right. So Brian King might say something to Andy. And Andy, Andy responds. And then four of them will respond. Lucky if on it's you. on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but four of them will respond. And if you're not savvy enough to realize that's the point you need to just kill it, you will be there for about eight hours and they'll just keep swarming at you. But these are people that if you got them one by one, they wouldn't say boo to a goose. And I think that's the bit. Keyboard warriors. Yeah. We're not far off. I, I genuinely believe this. I've spoken to people who work for Facebook and they were talking about this. We're not far off full digital transparency. So when you address me on Twitter, it will say Andy White at New Age Podfather tweeted you from this location. They'll have to do that now. And then the minute you do that to someone, you give the, you give the address away. Sod privacy when you're slagging people off. Take the risk. And then let's see who really wants to be accountable for what they tweet cheap flights to the Outer Hebrides will start with people, right, I've got to tweet this, but I need to go somewhere where no one's going to be able to find me. <laughs> but the thing is, most of these sad twats are mostly from Scotland. <laughs> that is a sweeping statement. No, it's not. Ever. No, no, it's not. Right, if you're not saying everyone in Scotland. No, not everyone in Scotland. <laughs> but these troublemakers, when you look, it's all, it's generally Scottish people. And you're like, where does this come from? And they're probably just in there being funny and witty, but it's like, it just looks sad. 
and immature. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's move. Brian N asks, why do you think the Dave Allen Thomas fight has fallen through? Are these guys holding out for a fight with Joyce or Dubois? Uh, possibly word is that Lenroy Thomas will end up on the Deontay Wilder Bermains Deverne undercard. We shall see. Don't know. And Thomas is known to be quite close and aspiring partner of Deontay Wilder. It's an irrelevant fight. Let's be perfectly honest. Like I love, I love Dave Allen to bits, but it's an irrelevant fight. It's a Commonwealth heavyweight title fight that he's lost already once. Uh, if he wins it, it doesn't do a huge amount for his career because he'd still get beaten by Dubois fairly easily. He doesn't want the Joe Joyce fight. He said that. So look, I hope he wins it because I hope he gets that title and I hope the fight goes on the undercard because the undercard, you know, is maybe propping up the whole show. If we had, um... yeah, I'm looking forward to the undercard. If yeah, we, I mean, there's nothing like watching a wise guy dispense wisdom. Uh, just quickly before we move on to previewing next weekend's action. Um, Let's do it quickly. Well, we're nearly, like, nearly two hours. Well, right? we are. Uh, we won't be the fight talk, guys. What would be guys. the strongest, if you had to do it now, sort out a, a World Boxing Super Series heavyweight division, what would be the strongest lineup you could think of now for next year? Well, no, no, we have to define it. So if you want me to just get the, the best guys to fight each other that's one thing if you want me to get you something that's got that mix of the best guys and some really entertaining fights that's a different lineup altogether you're going to end up look let's just pick the top eight you're going to have joshua wilder ortiz dillian white will get in there because of the hern impact you gotta put hay in there if he beats bellew yeah hay or bellew will probably end up in there uh and then tyson, tyson fury will go in there povetkin and my last one number eight Klitschko he'll come back for that he'll come back for the opportunity to have one more go at wiping everybody out for the money as well I'd, do, I'd swap Klitschko for Briggs but I get the sentiment I'd, he'll I'd, come and have I a think go. I'd feel a little bit let down if the if the final was Klitschko Joshua I mean even though why if, they, if they've wiped out between them all those other names yeah, are you really going to feel let down or are you going to say fuck like Klitschko's got it back let's see it one more yeah, time yeah it's true I suppose okay uh, right Let's move on to previewing next weekend. Speaking of Joshua, Joshua Takam. Joshua, next. Joshua is pudding done. Right, is Takam absolute? In, is it? Is he absolutely useless? He's and, no, useless. no, he's, he's that's, just that's already. Hard. Right, okay. Like Joshua's had a, like a 10, 12 week camp. Takam's been in Mallorca, just chilling on a yacht. And somewhere. this is the thing when we say about like getting the refund. I'm not talking. Right. What I if I've paid for a ticket to go and watch that, what I've paid for is to watch Anthony Joshua take on somebody who has put in a similar amount of effort and work than Anthony Joshua. And that isn't the case for this. This is the issue. I said, you're not paying for the away corner. I'm not paying for the name of Kubrat Pulev. What I'm paying is to hope that Kubrat Pulev has put his bollocks on the line for eight weeks to train to try and beat Anthony Joshua. That's clearly not the case here. Carlos Takam hasn't been putting his bollocks on the line for eight weeks to try and beat... Anthony Joshua, irrespective of what we're told. Okay. Um, Frank Buglioni, Callum Johnson. I think this would be an absolutely brilliant fight. Really, Big really. Big Buglioni fan, isn't you now, though? I've become, look, look. Do you know, I wasn't before, but I like the wise guy now. I'm sold on him. This is going to be a great fight with Callum Johnson, another Gallagher fighter. From what I'm hearing, like, Prepared you know what I mean? Well. Friends up north, he's looking beastly in the gym. So... Prepared brilliantly and firing for this. He's fight. so 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 four sparring partners had to leave camp because of the drop. <laughs> what Joshua Takam? Takam has been out there sparring Callum Johnson, from what I hear. Yeah, no, no, Callum Johnson, great shape, really, really looking forward to this. 
Um, you know, but the thing about light like heavyweight division, man, it's like a, I mean, it draws you in. It's almost like a spider's web. You just get sucked in. And it's not how spider webs work. <laughs> well, no, it is. You get drawn in, you get lured in, and then you get stuck to the to the small filaments that they start to build on. Do you call them filaments? I have no idea. Threads? Yeah, we'll call it threads. But now, nah, look, you know, boxing's like that. So I'm looking at this British scene and I'm like, you know, Callum Johnson might just get caught in a spider's web and then Buglioni just devours the guy. A tasty prospect. We, tasty we just, morsel. Weren't we talking about transparency a little while ago? Anyway, move on to Dave Allen and Lenroy Thomas. Just said what um, I think about. I, I think there'll just be a Nando's eating contest between those two. Yeah. Um, then Kaufai versus Ishida. <sighs> Little guys. I mean, what is this? A fucking... It's a 13-year-old boxing. I'm not ba- bothered. Baby division. Ba- yeah. Adult babies. Adult babies. Yeah. Adult babies. Adult yeah. babies. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is, this is absolute Eddie Hearn porn to put a super flyweight world title fight to fill up an Anthony Joshua undercard. Is Katie is Taylor it, on this? Yep, in a world title fight. So you can say Ooh. this card has got three world title fights. Uh. And at face value, that's great value for money. When you look into it and Katie Taylor is fighting JD Sports till fucking operator number three um, and Cal Yafai in a... Uh, don't get, it might be a great fight. I don't really know. Super get, flyweight Cal Yafai fighting a 14-year-old. I don't know. Yeah, and I, you know these Japanese guys, I'm, which I'm assuming Ishida is. Uh, that's incredibly racist. I mean it like that, but doesn't he's he, too late isn't he, he centre back for Southampton? <laughs> that's Yoshida, isn't it? Uh, no, either know. way, like these guys from you know the uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What I'm talking about. I don't care. Well, we have got to that point, and there it's um, gone. It's he gone. Has a, he Good is luck, actually Cal. Japanese. He is actually Japanese, Ishida. So that wasn't that wasn't. Uh, hmm. It wasn't racist. It was incredibly lucky, but it, was <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't racist. Um, okay, so any other business? Have we got anything else to um, talk about? Trying to think. Cecilia Breakups last night. She won. Um, Unified. The first lady of boxing. You know, fantastic that, you know, she's, she's showing what female boxing should be about. She's just put her nuts on the line and said... If no one's going to give me a chance, I'm going to create my own lane. So congratulations to her. Hannah Rankin apparently got diddled out of it. I don't know. I haven't said. Uh, everyone says that, man. Like, how, how many? Every loss is a robbery. Look, she's only had like two or three fights. She's new to the sport. Take the defeat, man. You're still Move learning. On. Yeah, but Seaman Nasetta, one of my favorite Norwegians, he won. So he's a young cruiserweight prospect who laid waste to a fair few super heavyweights in the amateurs in the UK. So. Look out for him. He'll be on these shows soon. He's trained by Nigel Travis and Kelvin Travis. So he's indirectly part of the Jamie Moore camp as well. Um, just a great guy. You know, you meet him. He looks like an accountant. Gets in the ring and he just starts smashing people to bits. So good for him. Shouts out to Sam Smith, as I say, every week. She's boxing on the Kieran Farrell show in a couple of weeks. Already heard that she's already filled one coach. Second coach is filling up. That's a lady who moves units. So congratulations to her. Uh, you know what else is happening in the world of boxing I'm sure Tyson Fury said he's coming back at some point he probably retired since he said it I'd suspect (laughs) and then come back again I think he's just come back (laughs) he's just the disappointing thing for me is every time we've seen him since uh, he said he was getting do you remember when um, he was a Billy Joe Billy yeah He's not looked any better. In fact, he's actually fatter. And I'm thinking, well, did you just you train for like two weeks? You know what would be brilliant? Went, oh, is if he it. ends up in, in Kid Galahad's attic. 
comes back and he's just 16 stone ribs. But yeah, I, I often wonder if Tyson Fury's just got a stock of old video clips that he can release that like nobody's ever seen before. And then every now and then he'll just release one of those and go, and people go, oh, look, he looks really trim. Like, no, I don't. Sat mm. home, like just fucking breaking or, jeans. Or, or the reverse is doing true. Doing a callous Owland impression. You, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if he just turned out to be a fat suit? <laughs> and he was just like gotcha and it's only at the World Boxing Super no. Series he takes it off no no yeah it'll be when he fights Joshua yeah and he comes to the weigh-in and he's there fully clothed and he just takes it all off and he's like the white AJ and then Billy Joe Saunders son comes and boots him <laughs> boots AJ for banter Bants Bants I'm done what else has been happening do we need to touch on anything else no of course we don't but it doesn't stop you from doing it You've got this is your any other business rant generally. I've really got much to rant about. I mean, boxing Twitter's full of assholes. Not all of them. No, 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 no. I know, know, but the the problem is Terry likes a sweeping statement. Full of indicates we think everyone's an arsehole. We don't. Clearly not the case. But 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 everyone has an arsehole. Here's my issue, right? And I think everyone gets it. So I remember Sam O'Reilly going, "I can't let anyone call me a bitch on Twitter," and I felt his pain because. The guy calling Sam a bitch on Twitter is one of those guys that doesn't go to shows and he sits at home and he watches YouTube eating Smarties, whatever these morons do. I love it. He always paints a picture, doesn't he, of these people doing vividly doing specific things like sitting at home, eating yeah. some Smarties. Wanking off to trannies on Pornhub, whatever. <laughs> it's always, always features whatever. Pornhub. Go to. Like, whatever. They've probably but, been mentioned on here but, as much but, as Cheetos yeah. have. But, but... And it's it's frustrating because I don't think anyone's aiming to be malicious on Twitter. So to get jumped on by someone, you're like, oh, come on, man, really? But one of the things I did want to touch on, actually, here's an important issue, and it's going to come into sharper focus in the next year or so. They're now talking about allowing transsexuals to participate in boxing. I feel like we've entered a really sticky area. Is this going to be as in male births? fighting in the women division yes now sign me up <sighs> now it's a dilemma and 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 i i struggle to form a view on this so if someone says to me trans participation in sport in principle i'm not against it yeah whatever you want to run the 100 meters whatever what will happen over the years is those who are born as women will say we can't keep losing like this sod it we're not play- we're not playing ball and they'll go and do their own thing again so it will just divide naturally in the case of a combat sport, man, my concern is safety. Um, there was a MMA fighter. Does anyone remember Fallon Fox? Nope. What was so she? She was the first declared transsexual to fight in MMA. And when she was fighting novices, she was rubbish. She had no technique, but she could just pick you up and slam you. And you're you're watching this going. The difference in strength here is so vast that this can't possibly be safe. Like, from whatever position she was in, she could just just get up and go, ah, this is nothing. And that worries me because the argument that's going to be used is equality. That's the argument that they're going to use. They're going to say, you can't ban transsexuals for participating in the gender that they feel that they are. But imagine that in a 10 by 2 minute round boxing bout where you've got two ladies who are ostensibly the same weight, but when they rehydrate, one is probably three or four kilos heavier than the other with greater bone density, probably greater tendon size and strength. 
it's 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 a worrying time, and I think uh, boxing uh, needs to get his house in order and know what the response actually is. Wouldn't there have to be some concessions then made for things like um, testosterone levels in the system? Which presumably, if you're a female, with there will be certain testosterone levels that they consider to be mm. drug cheating. But you would have that if you were. That's almost no, not, that's also almost not the issue. Like you can you can control your testosterone levels with drugs. It's the imputed advantage you've had of having gone through puberty as yeah. a male. Yeah, yeah. I can so see by that. the time you have your gender realignment, let's just say you have it at eighteen, you're probably pretty solid. And what we're starting to find is the myonuclei. So they're the cells that control muscle contractions and so forth, and they determine how big you become. You don't lose those. This is why there's an argument to ban drug cheats for life. Because once you get that advantage of having two or three times the amount of nuclei that a clean athlete has, like Justin Gatlin. So even if yeah. Gatlin never yeah, took the, steroids that's exactly again. exactly the one I thought of, actually. Yeah, even if Gatlin never took steroids again, he always has that advantage because you can't lose it. And it's the same thing in this process where if you've gone through puberty and you've got to 21, 22, you have advantages that biological women don't have. And no matter how many drugs you take, you can't reverse that. And it's a, it's a, it's a real concern. And no one's having the debate now, but it's coming over the line because there was a case in Australia where the, the Australian Football League, so that's Aussie Rules Football, the women's division banned the, this transsexual lady from participating. They she's like six foot one and 15 stone 10. Wow. It's impressive, if nothing else. Exactly. Now, now imagine <laughs> that running against an eight and a half stone woman, and just at full pelt, and this eight and a half stone woman has to. Nah, you start to wonder, you know, what is the response? So, look out for that issue. That issue is growing in significance, and it's a worrying one because it doesn't look like there's a legal basis on which you can prevent it. I don't think the safety argument will hold up because people say there's inconclusive research. But you can't have research until you have the participation. You have the participation, someone could end up severely injured. I feel grossly unqualified to really move into that area. So if you're finished, I'm finished. I'm done. Yeah, would like to actually just want to put something to the floor. Wondering if the fans want to hear a new age podcast on doping. I'm intrigued by Angel Mimo Heredia or Hernandez, however you want to call him. And he might be open to doing a discussion with us. I don't know how open it would be, but I think it's important because it's something we touch on a lot. So doping and sport be really good to get an expert view. So that way we know if we're talking nonsense or not. So tweet back the response, whether people find that interesting or not. Okay. Are we done? Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. I hope you've... I mean, they've got good value. Apologies for us being away last week. Um, no apologies. It was worth it. <clears throat> it definitely was worth it. Um, and I hope my hangover hasn't affected this podcast too much. So Probably two enhanced hours, it. Two hours. <laughs> two hours. So that's like a bumper pod, considering we missed last week. It's an hour for last week as well, isn't it? So Martin still is here. He's kind of tuned out a little while ago when he said, I'm done. Mate, <laughs> I, look, I'm nothing if not honest. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next... Oh, get in touch with us at No Age Podfather. I mean, that's pointless, really, but at <laughs> No Age Boxing UK, at The Seven Wolves. And he'll make up a new hashtag at some point when he remembers and... Uh... 
Yeah, yeah. That's what I we do. It's on I rotation. Didn't, I didn't plug it. Yeah. Just as Ian Lewis will turn up out of shape. <laughs> Yeah. And he will make up a fucking hashtag for questions. And as a final, as a final plug for the um, for the live show, I think it's about sixty percent of the tickets are sold now. So, and a thank you to anyone who's bought one, man. And none have gone to StubHub. <laughs> thank you to anyone who bought one for the support. <laughs> yeah, a massive thank you to those that have already bought. Um, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. All these two gentlemen. Shut so up. See you later. I'm <laughs> gonna